broaden our minds. Lawrence. From the Ancient One Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome to the Cube. <laughs> Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 102 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. I'm your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. Brendan, we got some stuffs on the agenda today. What we got? We are going to be talking about the Skaven Battle Tome. That's our primary feature. Mm-hmm. You have a note on here that you want to talk about the Purple Sun. Yeah, a little bit. Just a brief commentary, yeah. And we're going to get a 10,000-foot view of my time at ATC. Perfect. That's great, man. That should keep us busy for a while. Full episode. Yeah. And I want to uh, also, before we head into whispers, just we've had three or four more people since the last episode have very generously, very graciously dropped some coin for the show. Oh, cool. And it's really, really neat because every one of them made a comment that, like, this is their favorite AOS content, which is sometimes we look and go, what? But I really want to thank folks. I don't like calling out names or anything. You know who you are. And just thank you for your generosity because that makes a difference. As we've spoken, Brendan, before, you know, when we're buying these battle tomes and stuff, that can add up (laughs) when GW gets busy. Again, we really, really thank everybody who's willing to do that and, you know, make a difference for the show. So thank you very, very much. With that, then we're going to move on to Whispers from the Warp. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Brendan, it is hobby time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, you haven't, you've been just been busy getting ready for ATC, right? Largely, yeah. I uh, was at the paint desk a little bit this week. I built a Kragnos. Oh, I primed him. Whoa. I put a couple of colors on yesterday. I was working on painting the other two of my Revenant Seekers. Oh, yeah. So, sure. you know, doing that... When we talk about the Sylvaneth book, there's three new unit units. Yes. They're quite good. Mm -hmm. So I got to acquire them and get them built and get them painted so that the collection has, you know, enough to play kind of a multifaceted... more tools in the toolbox for you. Exactly. So that's one of the bummers, right, when... A new book drops that has models that are good and <laughs> yeah. new is that you have to get them and paint them and build them. <laughs> of course. Unlike some of these other books, like when this new Nighthaunt book dropped, I haven't had to paint a yeah. single model. Yeah. I had everything done. I was <laughs> sure. ready to go. Now, is Kragnos going to be more of, you know, kind of a showcase model or you think you'll end up using him? I'm sure I'll probably use him at some point, right? He's really good across all destruction factions. And I've got my Beast Claw Raiders that I trot out every once in a while. And I have a couple of destruction armies that are built in that I think he'd be useful in. But for right now, it's just focusing on painting quite like, you know, my time and attempt at Bellacor, right? There wasn't necessarily something I was working on playing, but he has a lot of versatility in a lot of different lists, and that's something that's good and useful and sure. and exciting. So, yeah, doing that and just getting some of those painted, and I started building my Age of Darkness box just mm. very mm. slowly. I've yeah. got a bunch of, we'll call it like bits and stuff that I'm waiting for to really world eatersify my yes. army. So yes. doing cool. that. That's awesome. You've been largely under the weather here up until oh, very yeah. recently, yeah. but you've hobbied one thing specifically that's in front yeah. of me. It's a Loshan. Yep. And it kind of worked out cool because I was 
going to be going to an event, which I was unable to go to, but I didn't have a law, Sean. So we kind of did a Lend-Lease deal where mm. you would lend me the model if I painted it for you. Sure. And so it was really cool, though, because it ended up being a great kind of training experience for me to start using my uh, speed paints a little bit. Oh, nice. didn't totally use them. Yeah, I think it came out okay. Yeah, that's pretty good. Turns out nice. So I got Loshan done for you. And Thank you. And now it's back for you. And when I need to borrow it, it'll, yeah, be, it'll available be there and painted. We'll have to work on it. <laughs> and I got my Cairn Wraith done, if I ever use him. Mm-hmm. But that was actually pretty cool the pretty simple i mean there's not a lot going on there got him finished i got the last 10 of my blade guys that i'm gonna do those are finished now and so i'm pretty much done with my night haunt i there's nothing else that i need to add to my collection i ended up moving as you did into my age of darkness box Mm -hmm. i got a tactical squad done which is great. So that's 10 of those. And then I had the special weapons box. So I built a tactical support squad with rotor cannons. Oh, that's, that's what I want to build them with. Yeah. I was going to ask you, I was like, do you have any spare rotor cannons? I got some. Yeah, I still well, have some. Yeah. I was but, hoping you were going to build them with something else so I could just take all 10 rotor and leave you some cash. <laughs> but that was really interesting. And it's so weird feeling having space marines on the workbench again it's been forever it's been a while yeah the one thing that was interesting with the rotor cannons is you're trying to fit that weapon piece onto a regular marine that you're taking off of the sprues for the box it was a bit of a chore just making sure that the arms and stuff made sense because they're not really designed for the special weapons mm. um, so you just had to do a little bit of noching and stuff but they ended up turning out really well and overall it was just so funny having this giant stack of sprues next to me as I'm trying to build these marines and finding pieces and parts, eventually you realize there's a pattern to the sprues. And once you figure that out, it took me like three or four models. Once I did that, they just started popping. It was really easy. But what you realize when you're doing the sprues is there's an area on the sprue. It's not so much the numbers. Mm -hmm. It's that there's a grouping of specific arms and legs and body that all go together for that one marine. And then there's another part of the sprue that's you know six or seven pieces that are best marine yeah so that was more okay it it was numbers too but it was more the spacing on the sprue but it was really fun to build space marines again i have to say and that was really really cool so making progress as you are that's it i guess for hobby for us but we've been relatively busy yeah. Pre-orders. So we have a few things going on. We have the plastic, plastic Leviathan Dreadnought. All right, man. I hit up Landmine like three days ago. Like, okay, get me on a list right away. <laughs> <laughs> no question. Because I did have a Leviathan when I had a Thousand Suns, you know, 40K list. Mm-hmm. And it was just such a cool looking model. It did some work too, but it was really cool. So there are also two kill teams. There's one KS Space Marine kill team and there's an Eldari Pirates kind of Void Corsairs kind of thing for kill teams. There's lots of Chaos Space Marine stuff. There's a unit of Chosen. There's Obliterators. There's this group of like five, you know, evil bad psychers, which it actually, the models are very cool looking. There's a unit of Cultists and then there's a Warpsmith. So all that stuff for your Chaos Space Marines if you're into such things. And that's all out yesterday for pre-order. So that's kind of, I think, new stuff that's Mm -hmm. come out. There was an announcement, I think, for Heresy. They were talking about a couple of other 
models that were going to come out, but who knows when that's going to happen. So yeah, I we're going to reliably it. get upgrade kits. There's going to be like the slow drip feed of you know units that are just in the book that you mm-hmm. have access to. You know, the Mechanicum book is going to come out. The Auxilia's book is going to come mm-hmm. out. That is something that's just going to be kind of constant and consistent, which is cool. The White Scars stuff is going to be going up for pre-order relatively shortly. That's really cool. They weren't able to get it all out all at the same time, yes. which is totally fine. I'm glad that it's being just a steady, consistent feed so yep. that you know that your time is going to come around and your stuff is going to be just around the corner and you hope that it's sooner than later yes. and that's the way that it is. So. Yeah, perfect. That's really good. Games played other than Sigmar, I just really haven't been doing much else. Really just working on my workbench mm-hmm. and listening to audiobooks and stuff like that. Have you played anything else? You've been so busy, I can't imagine. No, I've not played any other games. I really want to get back to Iron Harvest. I really want to finish that. Yes. So I okay. know I talked about that, I think, on the last show. Mm-hmm. It's keep looking at it. You finish it, yeah. Oh, yeah. Stuff happens. Life sit happens. sit down and do it. No heresy. It's, it's too early, but when we do play heresy games, we'll certainly report out. Yep. But you got a Sigmar game in this week, right? I got a game in last night. I played against Nick Raverty with his Skaven for the Dias cast. So check that battle report out when it goes live on their channel. It's Sylvaneth versus Rats. Okay. Yep. And we won't tell you how it goes. Check it out first. And yes. Then, and then you can come back. Yeah. And, and see what's going on. Events. The big thing is a week from yesterday will be Rantathon. Yes. Next Saturday. And so by the time the episode comes out. Yes. We it, will, it, you'll be in the midst of Rantathon. Yeah. It's always a fun experience. And I love when it comes around. And I just am so grateful that Mephisto does this and puts everything together. All the crew that helps out. It's, yep. it's such a worthwhile thing. And People are incredibly generous. So it's a day and a half marathon where we're raising money for this year. The charity is Take This, which is a mental health charity with an orientation towards gaming specifically. They've been lovely in terms of being a partner in this activity. We have the biggest year in terms of prizes to win. There's about $8,000 in retail worth of (laughs) prizes to win. The threshold for donating is exceptionally low. As long as you donate $5 in any two-hour block, you would be entered to win that block. If you donate $50 over the course of the whole event, you are entered to win one of several grand prizes, including one of the ones that we have donated. This is our third year it's happening. This is the third year we've donated one of the grand prizes. The show has donated. Yes, the show has donated a grand prize, and this year it's a night Hunt Army, keeping in the theme of our previous donations, first year being a Bone Reaper Army, second year being a Soul Black Gravelords Army. Mm-hmm. This year it's a, you know, it's a 2000 point Night Hunt Army with some extra fixins and things yeah. to work in. It's a very solid start. You'll have to get your own Purple Sun, but uh, <laughs> yeah, right. you will have the tools to do the things that you need to do with that. Let's move on then. We're not going to cover stuff that's coming up. We know what most of that is, but I, what I'd like you to do is give us kind of a high level picture of your ATC experiences. Sure. Long story short, we finished second as a team. Awesome. Uh, Congratulations. That's that's pretty good. We finished with the most individual wins, and we finished with the most points. So that's a little bit tough for me to swallow that we weren't able to take the event win. We were very prepared. Unfortunately, we dropped round three, 42 to 38. Yeah. As some total, there was a total of 16 games that are played across the four rounds. We went 13 and three. Wow. Awesome. That's that's amazing. Pretty good. Yeah. You know, we scored the most points and it wasn't close. So 
<laughs> Honestly, it wasn't. I want to thank my teammates, John Ragonk and Adam Trenzo for coming down and putting the prep work in. And the week leading up to it, we had meetings every night where we were walking through all of the matchups and talking about missions. And then obviously mm-hmm. everything leading up to that, refining your lists and doing prep work and being prepared. Something to put in the back pocket for next year, right? Something to work towards Sure, is, you know, squeezing the last bit of blood from that rock. But you had another great experience and you're glad yeah, you went. And- absolutely. Uh, Team Warhammer is my favorite way to play this, be it doubles or four person or whatever. Sure. I really enjoy playing an event with people. It's a really different experience than going to a singles tournament, like with your club, you know, where, you know, we talk about between rounds, we all talk about our games and stuff like right. that. But right. Ultimately, what you're doing doesn't affect me. When we're at a tournament, I'm happy for your wins. You know, I'm bummed for your losses, but... I'm still playing my games and doing my thing. Right, it's its own independent thing, right? right? It's four people versus four people in a team setting. The aggregate of the games can swing it. There's a way to win a round where one of your team wins and the rest of the three of you lose close, but you can still win the round together. You know, definitely going back, right? It's an expensive weekend. You know, it's getting on a plane. It's a $400 ticket, so $100 a person. It's it's vacation time. I go because I really enjoy the Team Warhammer setting, and there's really not another time or place where that's something that's on the calendar and eligible to do so. There were 14 teams this year, so quite a bit more than the the last time, (laughs) which is good. You know, they're looking to continue to grow the Age of Sigmar side, right? Because the 40K side is, you know, 100-ish teams. So it's... uh, (laughs) It's a little bit different. A little bit different. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I'm And I'm glad it's grown. That's really cool yeah. that you get more people. You know, second place is nothing to be upset about. Definitely looking next year to come back, retool, and challenge for first place again. Perfect. Okay, that's great. Just Oh, and I took best death. Awesome. Uh, so on an individual basis, I had that accolade. Did you go 3-1 and or 4-0? I went 3-1. and one. You did, okay. And who did you lose to? Which army? I lost to a pairing that I was really hoping to not draw, oh. but... It left us in a relatively neutral pairing. Their captain ended up with a pairing that they didn't like. I ended up with Mm. a pairing I didn't like. And there were two games that we felt very middling about. So balance really on a knife edge. You know, that other team did an excellent job in terms of putting us in a pairing situation where we didn't get all of the things we wanted. So my one loss was to an Icebone, Kragnos, Bone Splitters list. Whoa. Mortal Wounds for days, lots yep. of attacks. It's exactly the kind of thing you don't want to see as a Nighthaunt player. I did my best to try and squeeze as many points out as I could from the situation. He won priority into four, which permitted him to table me and okay. let him run away with some points. If I had won priority into four, I could have dragged it out for a victory point differential where we either would have tied or we would have won the round outright. It's the way it goes. Sure. Understood. Great. Well, congratulations still on second place. And yeah. Really glad to hear it. It was a great experience. Yeah. Our new jerseys are much more comfortable than <laughs> the uh, last time. Than the last time. Okay. And awesome. hopefully they get replaced a little bit sooner. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome, man. Okay. With that, then we are going to move on to Emperor Lies and talk about rats. Well, but first the Purple Sun. Yeah, of course. Yeah, there's first purple the sun. Purple Sun. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, what are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. All right, Emperor Lies time in. So, I just, so, Dan, tell me about this War Scroll that has you bent out of shape. You haven't... No, no. And here's the thing. You haven't I'm, even played against it. I'm not bent out of shape. You haven't even it's seen it. It's not me, okay? I, Listen for the commentary. I've not done anything I, evil to you. I need a post-commentary commentary, okay? <laughs> so, the thing that gets me kind of... Like, I'm asking questions and kind of put my hands up like, what? Is how everybody... Like, people are just losing their minds over Purple Sun, okay? All these people that normally, when I'm listening to 
of them, I always think of them as very balanced and very knowledgeable and stuff. But I, the Purple Sun is just like made them go crazy for some reason. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the thing with me is looking at the Purple Sun and saying, I get the fact that it can take a whole mo- a 300, 400 point model, 600 point model off the board. I get that. I get the fact it's only 70 points. I understand all that. As a player, if I see 30 Sentinels on the board, I'm going to be a lot more concerned about that than I am about a Purple Sun showing up. Okay, if I'm a player and I see 12 Storm Fiends show up on the board, I'm going to be more concerned about that. I'm going to be more concerned about 30 Bow Snakes or 12 Long Strikes or whatever. So, That's just me. Right. So think about the points difference, though, and, and I, what you've talked and about. And underst- I understand how much the things I've mentioned cost. Mm-hmm. They're a good at least quarter of an army. At least, if yeah. not more. I understand You're that. talking, in the case of like the Storm Fiends, almost mm-hmm. 50% sure, of that army. army. You should be concerned about a thousand points of your opponent's army, kind of no matter what. Right. Like, that's, yeah, sure. Like, you know, right. it's half of what you've paid for. Right. And the other part of this, Brendan, is I don't hear anybody really talking about those other things that cost, you know, a quarter to a half of your army in points. I don't hear anybody talking about that. They're talking about the Purple Sun and how broken it is. Mm. Oh, and it's so overpowered and blah, blah, blah. So my reaction is, why are you so concerned about this versus, you know, very verbally being very pronounced about your concerns about these other things that are in the game? They are. They just exist. And, and what whatever it is. I just think we need to play for a while to see if it actually has an effect on events and games and stuff. It does. And and my point would be, so for example, we had two events, you know, a couple weeks or Mm -hmm. last week was we have Midwest Bash, which Mm -hmm. had about 40 people and Midwest Makeup. uh, Makeup, which had 30. So between those two, we had 350 games, roughly. About 350 games. I trust that you did the math. Well, I'm not going to double check I'm just you. saying five games for 70 people. And I'm just taking those two mm. numbers roughly. Event coordinators can give me more specific numbers. So my question with this whole thing is, I would be really, really interested in somebody telling me out of 350 games, how many games very large, expensive models actually got removed from the board out of those 350 games by Purple Suns. Mm. I, I just think it would be interesting to know because we hear a like somebody would say, oh, I was playing a game and the guy next to me lost a Maw Crusher to it. Or, you know, somebody lost a Crondus or somebody lost a, a Lariel or whatever it is. Sure, something, something expensive right. and, and sad. And, and, but when you hear that, it's very anecdotal. It's not like, well, you know, in the tournament we had... 10 people who lost big models out of however many mm-hmm. games it was. If it's 350 games and maybe, you know, 10, 15 people lost big models, I don't consider that significant enough to be concerned in terms of the, the big picture of the game. Yeah. So I just think it would be interesting to know what the actual numbers are rather than us just kind of seeing these events, these little events, micro events, versus what the big picture is on the so I'll jump in here with yeah, this, where please. Purple Sun is in my Night Haunt list, and you'd be crazy to not take Purple Sun uh, in a Night Haunt army. There's literally no downside in doing so. Right. Part of the problem is it's 70 points. Yes. You are paying 70 points to hand out a 12-inch, or sorry, a 6-inch radius from the model. So area. a 12-inch uh, bubble. Yeah, it's, it's even bigger than that because the base is quite large. Yes. Of 
Minus one to save. Yeah. That's a big deal. Which doesn't affect you as a Nighthaunt player. Correct. It doesn't yeah. affect you as a Nighthaunt player. There's a number of armies who... There's already enough rend out there. What's another rend minus one? Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem like a big deal. You throw it out there. You have some automatic delivery systems that are relatively easy. You're talking mm-hmm. Spell in the Bottle, Midnight Tome. There's a number of casting armies that can get it on the board sure. relatively easily. Yep. 70 points. Mm-hmm. The rend is over the wholesale of the game, much more impactful than the pulling a model. The pulling a model sure. can be backbreaking. Oh, sure. And yeah. we've heard stories of that happening. Right. Yeah, so absolutely. over my four games at ATC, my purple sun kill count was one wolf, one skeleton, a beast of Nurgle, and Belladama. Okay. And so the only model pull that felt bad was Belladama sure. because because I managed to do it at bottom of one, and that was part oh, of his large huge. game plan. I get it. Understood. There should be a concern for that war scroll for what it does. It has a range of variants, right? Mm-hmm. The right. floor is nothing, right? You know, the floor <laughs> is that it does no damage, the rend has no impact, no models are pulled, nothing. Right. You know, it doesn't block anywhere on the board, nothing. Mm-hmm. The ceiling is it pulled every single model in your army. Mm-hmm. The rend was extremely impactful, mm-hmm. and there was nothing you could do about it. Right. That's your window of variance. Mm-hmm. What 70-point anything? Oh, nothing. Right. I acknowledge I yeah. acknowledge just at the beginning, I understand the point cost is a major issue with this thing. Yeah, so... If you have invested 1,800 points into removing somebody's army, someone's really not able to deal with it. Okay, they spent all of their points on that. Mm-hmm. I have one tiny little wizard guy who goes, <laughs> boop, boop. He rolls an eight. <laughs> yeah, gets it out, use an artifact that it goes out automatically. Or, right? I use Rykenor to be plus three to cast, you know, just whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's out on the battlefield now, and through just a series of really weird dice rolls, I pull off a Maw Crusher, oh, I yeah. pull off you know two of your heroes, I pull yeah. off a couple of pigs, and that's it. That's the game. That's a very frustrating experience. That's a very difficult experience. Sure. Well, and you know, you use the word frustrating. And this is where I understand the points differential. But again, my issue with this is if we're going to talk about the Purple Sun, the impact it's having, which Mm -hmm. I'd love to know what it really is, as I said, I think that would be interesting to do to kind of verify, you know, what's going on. I also think that there should be more discussion then about the other units, no matter how much they cost. That's where I totally disagree. Well, and we're going to disagree on this, and I knew we would. You know, there are other things that can shoot off a three or 400 point model in a turn. Boom, Mm. done. And you don't have to cast anything. You don't have to worry about anything. Well, you still have to roll the dice to do. Right. But your chances are, your chances are much, your percentage is much higher that you're going to remove something from those kind of units that have that kind of, and for me, you use the word frustrating. It's frustrating for me as a Nighthaunt player when I literally can't do anything about that thing. You know, I could probably do more about the Purple Sun if it showed up on the board than I could about a shooty unit that can destroy every you know one of my leaders every turn. Just boom, 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 take it off and I can't do anything about it. At least I could try to roll a, what a nine, a nine. Or better i could try i, I get a shot mm-hmm. and if i'm plus then i only need an eight most of my wizards have you know like plus one to dispel or whatever so i just wanted to bring it up for discussion so i'm gonna take this one more step before we move on yeah sure dan so what's your fix for it how do we address what, it appropriately my fix would be the one thing i think they could do is to make it so that instead of all models within what is it three inches or six inches whatever so it's, it's so it's all units within three inches you roll a dice right. on a one a model is removed so i would say that the first thing i would try to do incrementally is pick a unit okay 
and then roll a dice versus rolling five dice, you know, to see which one of those units you pick off a model, whatever else. Well, you roll for each unit individually. Right, understood. Yep. But then you have to make a choice, you know, so if there are two valuable units near it, you have to make a choice which one and you still need to roll the one. That would be an incremental change that mm-hmm. I would like to do. I would also say taking it to 100 points. Oh, that's still It's not even low. close. It's, it's still, still low. too low. But I'd still take the sun Brendan, at 200. But Brendan, you also have to, I think, consider where all the other endless spells are. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and if you take... I, you know what? I don't think you do have to consider that. Really? I, yeah. I think each of them is a war scroll in and of their own merit. You okay. know, if this happened to be an endless spell that warranted being 150 points, then it ends yeah. up being an endless spell that warrants being 150 points. I think points. then, let's say you make it a 200 point war scroll, just throw the number out. Mm-hmm. Then I think you need to prepare the community for saying there's other endless spells that are like cogs now is really good if i have the it's definitely worth more than what it's at if i have the gash on the table now if i take him to a tournament Mm -hmm. i'm taking cogs and you know what i'm gonna have somebody else cast just so i don't roll the miscast on the the cogs right him had being able to re-roll and not literally almost having zero chance of getting a miscast that's a very incremental increase for him it's worth more than it is you either i think adjust the points down although there's kind of a floor you can't go below or you do make adjustments and then we decide as a community what should that be you know and then transmit that to the GW. So anyway, I just thought it'd be worth discussion and maybe creating some other discussions in other communities and groups as we move forward. So let's move on. So we're going to move on to talk about the Skaven Battle Tome, Dan. Yeah. Which you're very excited for. I am. And I'm not. But (laughs) I was going to say, I'm actually just, after reading through it, I'm kind of neutral, honestly, Brendan. It's interesting. There's some cool stuff in it. There's some scary stuff in it. I'm happy for Skaven players who have waited for this to happen because they have struggled for a while. We know that's true. I'm always happy for people when they get a battle tome that makes their army better. Whoever it is. Even Skaven. (laughs) Outrageous. All right. Listeners, just so you know, it took quite a bit to get Brendan to the point where he was actually willing to discuss this book. But we're there now. We've crossed the threshold. And we are going to start out, as always, talking about allegiance abilities. I think one thing, Brendan, that you would suggest that we're going to do a little bit differently is we're going to talk about the heroes. But then before we go to enhancements, we're going to talk about the clans because the clans who are the sub-factions and the heroes are very, very intricately tied. Yep. And so we need to discuss both of those kind of together yeah in order for it to make sense yeah the sub factions are built on which heroes you take and in what quantity Mm -hmm. and then the rules that you get from the different levels that you trigger drive your army construction very specifically okay cool yeah all right brendan so let's get started with allegiance abilities here and we have three that we start off with so lead from the back it's so thematic it's awesome this rule says subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made with melee weapons that target friendly skaven heroes that are not monsters and are within three inches of any friendly skaven unit that has three or more models so look out sir in combat yeah cool cool yeah good stuff which we don't have now, which is cool, right? Mm-hmm. Very, very good. Um, how about Scurry Away? This one is... <laughs> scurry Away is very good. In the combat phase, when you pick a friendly Skaven hero that does not have a mount to fight, you can say that it will Scurry Away instead. If you do so, that hero can retreat. It's everything that isn't Thankwool or Gracier on Bell or the... The giant warp guys. We'll talk about that. Uh, the Vermin Lords can. Oh, they can? Yeah, because okay. they're right. a Skaven hero that doesn't have a mount. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. They don't have a mount. Yeah. So the Vermin Lords can make a retreat move. Oof. 
and some yeah. of them you're going to want to. That's really good. So okay. this is an ability that you can use to charge into something and then leapfrog onto an objective or set something up where you want to be going later in the game. And then the last one is strength in numbers. Add one to the range of melee weapons used by friendly Skaven units for every 10 models in the attacking unit. Again, this is so thematic. You can just see piles of Skaven just running on top of one another to get to things, at least while before they run. You yeah. know, like all the little guys do that and just waves and waves of guys attacking. So that's really a cool rule. For your 20 five millimeter bases this allows you to fight in four ranks that's insane it's pretty good Oof. this is really primarily a rule for clan rats who are you know units of 20 which you can run up to units of 60 if you'd like <laughs> wow this is their way of maximizing and you can the, get 40 of them on average probably to get in contact base contact if you go 15 wide yeah you can get all all 60, all 60 in. oh boy crazy seems oh, good that's yes yeah we haven't talked about buffs and all those things yet so that's allegiance abilities in just a moment here we're going to go into and start talking about heroes yep Alrighty. let's talk about our first hero who is thankful the undying and i say this listeners because he was one of the most annoying characters when you read old world books like he just would never die and when we thought he had died one of the things i think is the funniest he always considers himself like super powerful and you know he's gonna rule all the clans and the last picture i had of him in the old world he was sitting in the bottom of a half-cut beer barrel floating in the sea of chaos. He's done. He's gone, you know? And here he is again, riding his big buddy. So, why don't you talk about this guy? Thankful on Bone Ripper is one of two named characters in this book. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the more iconic of the two. I think folks would be a little hard-pressed to name the other one. He's the next one we'll talk about, but... Yeah. He's a monster. He's got a table. He's uh, movement 10 down to 7. 4-up save. Bravery 7 with 14 wounds. His armament can be pretty interesting. He has a combination of warp fire braziers and warp fire projectors that you can mix and match interchangeably between the four of them. So you can have four of one and zero of the other, or two and two, or three and mm -hmm. one, or one and three, whatever. The warp fire projectors is eight inch range, and for each enemy model in range of the warp fire projectors, you roll a dice multiplied by the number of warp fire projectors you have. <laughs> for each four up, it's a mortal wound. So if you have four warp fire projectors, you would take the number of models in range, you'd multiply that by four, and then roll that many dice. And that's like an eight inch range. Okay. Correct. All right. Still. Yep. That's insane. Fixed, he has the Staff of the Horn Rat, which is two inch range, two attacks, fours by threes, rend one damage, D3. Crushing Blows, which is two inch range, six down to three attacks, fours by threes, rend one damage, two. The Braziers are the alternate. You take the number of braziers that you took, you multiply it by two. That's the number of attacks that you get. Mm -hmm. So zero up to eight, uh, depending on your loadout. <sighs> Those are threes and threes, rend two, damage three. Poof. Yeah. Which is what's going to happen to most units he gets close to. Poof. In some way, shape, or form, they are going to go poof. Yeah. He's a two cast, two unbind wizard. Bone Ripper is a mount. He has a five up ward save. Great. <laughs> Once per battle round, Thankful can issue the same command up to two times in the same phase. This is just like the Maw Crusher. The second time you use it, a command point isn't spent. It's only mm -hmm. useful on Skaven units, though. So even if he was something you'd want to ally, it's not helpful. Or if you have allies in your list, he can't do this with them. Yeah, sure. One of the 
things I was listening to someone talk about. They had two units of, we'll talk about these, the Storm Fiends, and they had Thankful there. So when somebody tried to charge one of the Storm Fiends, oh, no. he just issued the second, and he had two Unleash Hells from them. Now that's like 1,500 points. Well, and the guy thought he was being clever because he had one unit of chaff come in, you know, to get blown away by the Unleash Hell, mm-hmm. and he didn't realize he was going to get another one in the face. So it took out both of them, oh. and I'm just going, oh my God, like, how do you even get close that was just crazed i guess it can be useful if you're willing to throw the points anyway yeah um, Oof, rough so he's got the staff of the horn rat which is plus three to cast all the way down to plus one based oh, on the table so good it's very good the warp amulet at the end of the combat phase you can heal d3 wounds allocated this unit he has warp stone addiction once per turn in your hero phase when this unit attempts to cast a spell you can say it'll roll 3d6 this cannot be re-rolled or modified if the 3d6 roll is a 13 the spell is successfully cast and cannot be unbound however you take d6 mortal wounds if it's not a 13 you remove one dice and the remaining 2d6 is the casting roll that's still really good yeah his native spell is madness casting mm-hmm. value of an eight but he's plus three to cast so it's very manageable yeah and a range of three inches if successfully cast pick one enemy hero within range invisible to cast and roll a number of dice equal to the combined value of the attacks characteristics of all melee weapons with which the hero is armed for each four up you can pick <laughs> one enemy unit within three inches of that hero to suffer uh, one mortal wound you can pick different units that suffer mortal wounds if you wish this is okay yeah it seems like it's kind of mediocre for a casting value of eight you would expect more yeah thankful has the master clan keyword which is important he is a monster and a totem, so, and obviously unique. Moving on, then we have several Vermin King, right? Type so, several Vermin Lords. Vermin Lords. The first up is the Vermin King. Yes. The second named character. Again, we're going to go over each one of these. They For are some different. reason, they're different. Yes. <laughs> Even though the models look strangely similar. Lord Screech Vermin King is the, as Brendan said, second named character here. He has a move from 12 to 6. 13 wounds, 4 up, save 10 bravery. Has a tail that does damage. The number of attacks goes from 4 to 1. 8 inch range, 3 by 3, minus 1, 1. So it's not that much. We have protection to the horned rat. We have another hero here that has a 5 up ward. It's excellent. The 13 headed one. At the start of your hero phase, pick one of the following areas of knowledge for the unit to draw upon. The effects of that area of knowledge applies to this unit until your next hero phase, which is really good. You cannot pick the same area of knowledge more than once per battle. So we have six of them. Knowledge of the Arcane, add one to casting, unbinding, dispelling rolls. Knowledge of Fleshcraft, when you pick this area of knowledge, heal D3 wounds allocated to this hero. The next one is Plague Brewing. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with this unit's Plague Reaper is six, that attack causes one mortal wound in addition to any other damage. A shadow Linking, uh, Shadow Slinking, sorry, that's more appropriate for mm. Skaven. Subtract one from hit rolls to target this unit. Warp Tech, this unit's Doom Glaive, has a Ren characteristic of minus three and a damage characteristic of three. Woo. That's really good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Knowledge of the Warrior, add one to wound rolls for attacks made by this unit. That's really good, too. So you pick one of those and boom, there you go. And so you can essentially do that once per battle round because it's your turn. Yep. And you do that in the hero phase, so good stuff. Yeah, you get to do some telegraphing of what your turns look like, which is pretty good. You know, you'll figure out kind of the sequencing of events for what turn order you'd want to do any and all of that in. The next thing we have the Rat King. You can use this command ability when you pick a friendly Skaven unit to fight in the combat phase. That unit must receive the command, so it has to be within range. Add one to hit rolls and wound rolls for attacks made by that unit until the end of that phase. Woof. Nice. Yeah, pretty good. Then we have the dreaded 13th spell. 13 is the Skaven number, if you didn't know. 
that's their thing. It's a casting value of eight again. We just saw that range of 13 inches. Oh, okay. Another 13. If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range of visible to cast to roll 13 dice for each four up one mortal wound. So that's going to be on average six or seven mortals. That one seems a lot more appropriate for something that has a casting value of eight. Certainly seems worthwhile. The other part of this is you can summon one unit of clan rats to the battlefield and add it to your army. So that's part of this, Brendan, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The summon unit can have up to one model for each mortal wound that was caused by this spell. The summon unit must be set up wholly within range of the caster and more than nine inches from all enemy units. The summoned unit cannot move in the following movement phase. Okay. Yeah. Six or seven clan rats, just annoying as heck, running around. More bodies. It's a cool character, 425, right? He's got some good punch to him, right? With the Doomglaive, you know, six attacks. At oh, yeah, we didn't talk about those profiles. At yeah. threes and threes, Ren two, damage two, which you can bump up to Ren three, damage three, once mm-hmm. per battle. That's pretty good. And then there's the Plague Reaper, uh, which is one inch. It's eight attacks down to five. Three by threes, minus one, two damage. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It's a lot of attacks. It's a lot of damage. He's unique, so Flaming Weapon isn't going to be something that he's going to be able to have access to. Sure. So why don't you talk about the Deceiver Force? Sure. So the things that are the same across them, you know, I'll end up skipping over. The profiles up top in the top left there, all the same. Okay, yep. All the same. Mm-hmm. Preancel Tales, all the same. The Vermin Lord Deceiver is the sneaky one. He's got his a ranged weapon, the Doomstar, 13-inch D6 attacks, 3s by 3s, Ren 1, damage 2. All right. His Warp Stiletto, 1-inch range, 6 attacks, 3s, 2s to wound down to 4s, Ren 3, damage 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same level caster, still a five-up save. The Doomstar, if the unmodified hit roll is a six, it suffers two mortal wounds and the attack sequence ends. I didn't mention it on the other one, but these guys are wizards and they've got two casts and two unbinds. Mm-hmm. So for each one of them. The other thing is this is appropriately clan Eshin keyword because Eshin is a sneaky clan. So it yep. makes perfect sense. Yeah. So there's basically one vermin lord for each kind of clan clan that you can take. Okay. The vermin lord deceiver has a command ability, Lord of Assassins. You can use this command ability when you pick a friendly clan Eshin unit to fight in the combat phase. That unit must receive the command, add one to hit and wound rolls for attacks made by that unit to the end of that phase. These commands are all really the same. They're just named different things. Sure. He is shrouded in darkness. The unit cannot be picked to the target of a shooting attack unless the attacking model is within nine inches of this unit. That is really good. Yeah. Very useful. So just wave at the sentinels. No, you can't target this guy. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. The, the tough part is, is he's not as punchy as some of his mm. sibling vermin lords, which... Mm kind of a bummer but he does have a really bonker spell okay he has dreaded skitter leap a spell of a casting value of a six and a range of 18 inches if successfully cast pick one friendly skaven hero with a wounds characteristic of 13 or less in range invisible the caster which is all of the vermin lords <laughs> um, <laughs> sure remove that hero from the battlefield and set it up again in the battlefield more than six inches from all enemy units that hero cannot move in the following movement phase yeah good stuff all right next one is the disease guy this is the Vermin Lord Corruptor, and profile is the same, prehensile tail is the same. We have melee weapon, which is one inch range, 2d6 down to d3 attacks, three by three, minus two rend, and two damage. That's pretty respectable given the potential for the number of attacks. A wizard, as we talked about, two by two, has a ward save of five up. Plague Reapers. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with Plague Reaper is a six, that 
attack causes one mortal wound in addition to any other damage. He is a Plague Master, and at the end of the combat phase, roll a dice for each enemy unit within three inches of this unit. On a four-up, that unit suffers D3 mortals. Lord of Pestilence, Pestilence. <laughs> he is to have the keyword Clan Pestilence. You can use this command ability when you pick a friendly Clan's Pestilence unit to fight in the combat phase. Add one to hit and wound rolls. It's like you said. Yep. Some call different, same effect. Same effect, you just yep. pick a different unit. And then uh, Dreaded Plague is his spell. It has a casting value of 7, a range of 13. Oh my gosh, I'm shocked. <laughs> if successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range, visible to the caster, and roll a die for each model on a 4-up, one mortal. That is Really good, Brendan. Yeah. That's a horde killer right there. So next up is the Warbringer. Yeah, I wanted you to talk about this guy because you had some experience, right? <laughs> yeah, so we'll end up talking about the enhancements that make him really bonkers. Okay. Some of the stuff is going to be obvious just off the war scroll, and then some of the things when we get over to enhancements, we'll talk about what makes it really nuts. So the Warbringer, same profile, same tail. He has two combat profiles, the Doomglaive, three-inch range, six attacks, threes by threes, rend two, damage two. Solid. The Spike Fist, one inch range, two attacks, twos that are twos by fours based on the table, run two damage three. Cool. Yeah. Take that, file it away in the back of your head. We're going to come back to this in like, probably like an hour. <laughs> yeah, um, right. A lot of heroes to talk about. He has the Amidst the Seething Tide. You can reroll wound rolls for attacks made by this unit while within 13 inches of three or more friendly Skaven units. He counts as one, so you just got to have two other units that are nearby. Yep. The Fist of Verminous Supremacy. Mm. The unmodified hit roll for an attack made with a oh, spike is a six. The damage characteristic for that attack is six oh, instead of a three. God. Ouch. Pretty good. Uh. Keep that in mind. Think about it. He is the tyrant of battle. It's the same command ability as all the other ones. It's just for Clan Verminous. He has dreaded death frenzy, which is... Excellent. Casting value of a 7, range of 13 inches. If successfully cast, pick up to D3 friendly Skaven units, whole youth in range, invisible to caster. Till your next hero phase, if any models in that unit are slain, these models can fight before they are removed from play. So, one of the things right off the bat, he's not unique, so he can take Flaming Weapon. You'll take Flaming Weapon and put it on the Doomglaive, making the Doomglaive damage 3. Keep all of this in mind. We will talk about this later. So right now, you have a Vermin Lord Warbringer who you take Flaming Weapon on that you can make damage three on the Doomglaive. He can receive his command ability to be twos by twos, you know, which is good. Rerolling wounds, if you've got enough models in range, damage three on all of them, right? Ren two on all of them. Keep that in mind. Think about that. This is going to be important later. Okay. And I know the models can fight before they're removed from play. You really like that. You've used that with your Slaves of the Darkness, your mm-hmm. Varen Garden stuff. You really like With Archeon? Yep. I put it on Archeon. It won me a tournament game. Yep. <laughs> I, it's one of your favorites. So the last one is the Vermin Lord Warp Seer. He is Master Clan. The Master Clan is kind of every clan. It's the all clan. It's the leader clan. Yeah, there you go. There's not any master clan units, only master no, clan heroes. Heroes, yep. Prehensile tail, profile's the same. Doomglaive is the same. Yep, two by twos in terms of spell. War to five. Fourth, fourth, children of the horned rat. Friendly scaving is wholly within 13 inches. I just love that, man. 13, mm-hmm. there you go. Has a bravery characteristic of 10. Sweet. Great manipulators. This unit counts as two Master Clan heroes, important for the purposes of always three claw steps ahead in terms of battle trait. We have the Scry Orb. Add one to save rolls for attacks that target this unit. That's helpful. Gives them a three up base save. Mm-hmm. In addition, once per battle, in your shooting phase, you can pick one enemy unit within 13 inches of this unit invisible to them. That unit suffers D6 mortal wounds, but you cannot use this ability to add one to save rolls for attacks that target this unit for the rest of the battle. I don't know that that'd be worth it because you could roll a, 
a one on that d6, but you're giving up your save. I don't know. What do you think? There's that doesn't seem like a worthwhile trade. You, yeah. So this is a very similar rule to what it had before. And like in the way before time, it was reroll saves, which was bonkers. You use it in a very specific situation to do that thing and as a player you have to know the situation when that's the right thing to do sure when the vermin lord itself you know is maybe out of harm's way or enough where those last couple of mortal wounds are going to break someone's back and win the game sure makes sense the last one is dreaded warp gale this is his spell casting value of eight range of 18 weird if successfully (laughs) that's not 13 (laughs) no what's wrong with that that's a 13 with two more arcs it's a it's it's a a typo (laughs) exactly okay I, i don't think it's a Typo. <laughs> no. <laughs> if successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range visible. A caster unit suffers D6 mortals. In addition, run rolls and charge rolls for that unit are halved until your next hero phase. Ouch. And if that unit can fly, it cannot fly. Whoa, that is really good, man. The bummer in this is he doesn't really have a lot of bonuses to cast built right. in. The holes, if you're within range, give you plus one to cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, dispel and unbind, which is quite good. But you still need to roll a seven in that instance. Just Get out the on. gate. There are some things that you can do to make this better and more reliable liable, but off the war scroll, that's kind of a tough one. But the effects are very, mm-hmm. very good. Okay, it's time for Screaming Bell, my friend. It is an iconic model. Truly yes. iconic model. Absolutely. One that has caused me many problems. So the Grace here on Screaming Bell is a war machine, a totem, it has a mount, it's movement 6 down to movement 3, 4 up save, bravery 6, 15 wounds. 15. Yeah. The Warpstone Staff of the guy on top, 2-inch range, 3 attacks, 4s by 4s, Ren 1, damage D3. Tearing Claws and Fangs, 1-inch range, 4 attacks, 4s by 3s, Ren 1, damage 2. And the Rusty Spikes, 1-inch range, 6 attacks down to 3, 3s by 3s, Ren 1, damage 1. 2-cast, two 2-unbind two Wizard, which is great. You know, there's a lot of 2-cast, two 2-unbind two Wizards in this army, and it feels a little evil. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Has, you know, the crew, a rat ogre armed with the teeth and fangs. It's pushed into battle. This unit cannot move unless it starts its move within six inches of ten or more other friendly Skaven models. So what do you do? Take a unit of ten storm vermin or something? No, no, no. You surround this with clan rats. Okay. You put clan rats around this thing. Storm vermin are too expensive to warrant babysitting this. Okay. And not voluminous in number. So and if you've got 20, you can still lose 10 and get the benefit. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay. So the Altar of the Horned Rat, it has a ward of a five up. In addition, at the start of your hero phase, you can say that it will beseech the Horned Rat instead of attempting to cast spells in that phase. If you do so in that phase, it is treated as having the priest keyword instead of the wizard keyword. Oh, man. It's so good to make a choice. Wow. It has the Avalanche of Energy, which gives you plus two to casting and plus one to chanting. Wow. All the way down to zero, zero. It is the Screaming Bell, so it has the Peel of Doom ability. It is less complicated than it has been been in the past, but it is still there. At the start of your hero phase, you can say that this unit will ring its screaming bell. If you do so, roll a dice and look up what happens on the table. On a one, it suffers D3 mortal wounds that can't be negated. Bummer. On a two, you add six inches of this unit's move characteristic until your next hero phase. Okay. Three, wall of unholy sound until your next hero phase. Subtract one for hit rolls that for attacks made by enemy units within 13 inches of any friendly screaming bells for which you rolled this result in this phase. So you have to be within 13 inches of those units to get that to go. Okay. This isn't something that as you move, you pick up with, you pick it up with. But it is within, not wholly within. Correct. That's huge. Okay. Yep. Deafening peels until your next hero phase. Roll a dice each time an enemy model is picked to issue a command while it's within 13 <sighs> inches of any friendly screaming bells for which 
which you rolled this result in this phase. Again, same as before, it triggers off a set time. Mm -hmm. On a five up, the command cannot be issued. There you go. A screaming crescendo is the five until your next hero phase. After this unit makes a charge move, you can pick one enemy unit within one inch of it. I roll a dice on a two up, it suffers D6 mortal wounds. Mm. And then you have apocalyptic doom. At the end of this hero phase, roll a dice for each enemy unit within 13 inches of any friendly screaming bells for which you rolled this results in this phase. On a four up, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Okay. None of those are nuts, but you know. Yeah, they're all super reasonable. Four more paragraphs of rules here. You have stirring behind <laughs> beyond the veil. Once per battle at the start of your hero phase, if seven or more wounds are allocated to this unit, you can say that the grace here will shatter the screaming bell. If you do so, roll a dice. On a one, this unit is destroyed. On any other roll, add the number of wounds allocated to, this, to the unit on this roll. Oh, this is nuts. If the modified roll is 12 or less, the screaming bell is shattered. If the modified roll is 13 or more, the screaming bell is shattered, and you can summon one vermin lord uh, to the battlefield and add it to your army. And Brendan, that's the vermin lord of your choice. Correct. It's just got to be keyworded vermin lord. Oh. Uh, set it up wholly within 13 inches of this unit. It can be set up within 3 inches of an enemy unit if this unit's within 3 inches of an enemy unit. Otherwise, it needs to be set up more than 9 inches from all enemy units. If it's shattered, it can no longer attempt to cast Crack's Call, which is the spell, and it can no longer use its Peel of Doom ability. Oh, man. Have you seen that happen? I, I remember in one... Yeah, I think it was, yeah, I, think I it was, have. I think it was Midwest I was at. I saw that and it was like, what did you just do? Oh, it was horrible. Yeah, so it's a little bit different, right? It's based on the decision-making point in time for you. Mm -hmm. You have to roll a dice. You have to add the number of wounds you're allocated. To get to 13, you have to roll a two up and have 11 wounds allocated to you. Sure. This is imminently doable. This is something that can very much happen without difficulty if your Grace Seer has taken damage and a free Vermin Lord late in the game, pretty good. Or if someone's managed to shoot your Screaming Bell down quite a bit, then another free, you know, couple hundred points worth of models, also not bad. Yeah. So Cracks Call is a spell that has a casting value of a six in a range of 13. If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range invisible to the caster. Roll 2d6. If the roll is greater than the unit's move characteristic, that unit suffers a number of mortal wounds equal to the difference between its move characteristic mm. and the roll. This spell has no effect on units that can fly. Yeah, all right. It is an iconic unit, well and truly. It is pretty complicated in terms of what it does. It's 325 points. So it's right there in the mix point cost wise with a vermin lord. Okay. I don't know that you get the same level of usage out of it, given that it has to be babysat by another unit, but it is truly one of the Skaven units. Okay, there you go. Have you played anybody recently who's taken one? No. Okay. It's right. been a while. Okay. All right, so the next four of these duders are little individual rat guys, and their profiles are almost all the same. They're very similar. They all have six-inch move. They all have either five or six wounds. Yeah, so anyway, only one is significantly different. So we'll go through these. You want to talk about the Grace here first? Sure. So the Grace here is a six-inch move, five up save, bravery six, five wounds. The staff is two-inch range, three attacks, fours by fours, rend one damage d3. Classic wizard. It is somehow a two-cast, two-unbind so, wizard. I was going to say, like, Brendan, for a little duder... Being able to be two by two, there are some armies that have, think of it, I got a lender and she costs 300 and some points and she's only a two by two. 
Yeah. It's like, what? Yeah. Yeah, It's crazy. Very frustrating. I mean, and it's only a 125-point model, and it can cast it two by two. Yeah. Really stupid. And you can take your Warpstone tokens once per turn in your hero phase. When this unit attempts to cast a spell, it can eat Warpstone tokens. You do roll 3d6. It cannot be re-rolled or modified. If it's a 13, it's cast but can't be unbound. You take d3 mortal wounds that can't be negated. If it's not a 13, you pick one dice of your choice. Use the remaining 2d6. (laughs) They have Wither which is it's pretty good. Casting Vow of a 7, range of 13. If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range, invisible, roll 2d6. If it's greater than the unit's wound characteristic, that unit suffers d3 mortal wounds, and you can subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by no. that unit until your next hero phase. 125 points. That's yeah. just... That's sick. All right, now we have the Arch Warlock. A little bit different. He's got six wounds. He's got a bravery of... Or, and he's got a three-up save. So pretty good save for this little dude. He's a two-by-two wizard. He has Warpfire Gauntlet. Once per battle in your shooting phase, you can pick one enemy unit within nine inches of this unit, invisible to it, on a two-up, suffers D3 mortals. Okay, it's only once per battle, whatever. More more Storm Cage. That is a special rule. Before you make a hit roll for an attack made with a Storm Cage Halberd, which is one of his attacks, it's two inch range, D3 attacks, four by threes, minus two, two damage. So before you make an attack with that, you can say that he has overloaded his generator on his halberd. If you do so, until the end of that phase, the attack's characteristic of this weapon is D6 instead of D3. However, for each unmodified hit roll of one for an attack made with this, the unit suffers D3 mortals after all of its attacks have been resolved. I don't know. It's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah, you can talk about the spell next, but the Scryer stuff is really excellent. And it's Clan Scryer, yep. Yeah. All right, the next one is Warp Lightning Storm. It's a spell that has a casting value of seven and a range of... Okay, everybody, guess what the range is. Is right. it 18 inches? <laughs> <laughs> oh, darn it. 13. If successfully cast, pick up D3 different enemy units within range. Pick up to... Don't pick them up. Pick up to D3 different enemy units within range. Invisible to the caster, each suffers D3 mortals. Alternatively... So you have a choice here. Before making the casting roll, you can say that this will unit will use its warp power accumulator. Oh gosh, another one of those things. All right. To augment the spell. So you can augment the ability. You can augment the spell if you do so. And the spell is successfully cast, not unbound. Pick up to D3 different enemy units visible. Those units each suffer D6 mortal wounds. However, if the spell is not successfully cast or it is unbound, this unit suffers two by D6 mortal wounds that cannot be negated. That seems pretty risky, honestly. Yeah, so it's not two D6. It's you roll a D6 and multiply it by two. Right. So two times D6. Yeah. On average, that's going to take his butt out because he can't negate these. Correct. So in any way. All right. The Warlock Engineer. Oh, this guy is so valuable. Him and the Bombardier. Yes, sir. Ugh. Movement 6, 5 up save, bravery 5, 5 wounds. He's got his Warp Block Pistol, 9-inch range, 3 attacks, 3s by 3s, Ren 2, damage 1. And his Warp Energy Blade, 1-inch range, D3 attacks, 4s by 3s, Ren 1, damage 1. Finally, a 1-cast, one 1-unbind one wizard. <laughs> yeah. He has more and more warp energy. Before you make a hit roll for an attack made with the warp energy blade, you can overload it. If you do so, the attack's characteristic is D6 instead of D3. However, for each one, you suffer D3 mortal wounds. Okay, same. Yep. Pretty much the same. He's got warp lightning, which is like warp lightning storm, but less good. Casting value of a five, range of 13 inches. Enemy target suffers D3 mortal wounds. You can overcharge it if it's cast, but not unbound. 
it's d6. However, if it's not cast or it's unbound, you take d6. Sure. And then we have the Bombardier, Mm -hmm. who is the same profile. He has a Doom Rocket, which is 18-inch range, d3 attacks, 4x3, minus 1, 3 damage, and then a Firing Pole, 1-inch range, 1 attack, 4x4s, no rend, 1 damage. Another 1x1 wizard. Everything is a wizard. Yeah. (laughs) Woohoo! And the clan scryer, Brendan, they're very similar to the Mechanicus, right? In terms of a reference. They're the guys with the machines and all those kind of things. Yeah, but they don't have a reverence for the machines. Right, right. They just love using them. These are mad scientists. That's a good description, yep. Absolutely. And that's clan scryer. Okay. More and more doom rocket. It's the same kind of a thing. Before you use the weapon, the attack characteristic is d6 instead of d3. If you roll a 1, you take d3 mortals. And then warp Lightning is similar to the Warlock Engineer. Yep. Warp Lock Engineer. Okay. That's yeah. It. D6 attacks with the Doom Rocket to go fours by threes, rend one damage, three. It's, it's pretty good. Pretty good. When we talk about the Scryer stuff, you can have a damage four rocket. And I was just going to say, both of these guys, we haven't talked about other units and their relationship in terms of... You know, yes. giving them good stuff. This, these, these two are very valuable. This book has a lot of relationship items yes. uh, that are very important to manage. Scryer, probably more than any of the other ones in a very direct sense. Yes. Units. We have more heroes, Dan. Oh, my God, no. And then the other heroes. <laughs> and then the other heroes, right? Next up is Plague Priest. Plague Priest. Okay, that's a little further back there. All right. Yeah, so the Here Plague Priest is a six-inch move, five-up save, bravery six, five wounds. He is the priest keyword, so he doesn't have any wizarding to him. His Warpstone tip staff, two-inch range, D3 attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage one. And the Plague Sensor, two-inch range, Two attacks, fours by threes, rend one, damage one. Frenzied Assault, you add one to the attacks characteristic if it made a charge move. Poisonous Fume, subtract one from wound rolls for attack with uh, melee weapons that target this unit. Then he's got Pestilence, Pestilence, a prayer with an answer value of a three and a range of 13. If answered, pick a point on the battlefield within range invisible. For each unit within three of the point on a four, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. If that unit is a clan's Pestilence unit, heal D3 wounds allocated to that unit instead. Now I get to talk about the Plague Priest on a Plague Furnace, which is a big giant wagon, which is very diseased. Okay, here we go. Yes. So move is six down to three, 15 wounds, uh, four up save, 10 bravery. Plague Furnace is armed with plague sensors and rusty spikes. This unit cannot move unless it starts to move within six inches of 10 or more friendly Skaven models. So, Just like the bell. Yeah, exactly. So it can't move. We have the Great Plague Sensor, which is a three-inch range. The way this works is you don't use the attack sequence for attacks made with the sensor. Instead, you pick one enemy unit within range and roll a dice on a two-up. That unit suffers the number of mortal wounds equal to the Plague Sensor value, which goes from D3 plus four to D3 plus one. So it's not bad when you think about the average number that that's going to be and by the way this thing has a five up ward oh wow just what we need warped stone tip staff is two inch range d3 attacks three by threes minus one one has fetid blades one inch six attacks three by fours no rend one damage and then rusty spikes is one inch range six down to three attacks three by threes minus one one damage okay a little little chip damage there Mm -hmm. we also have Another part of the Altar of the Horned Rat, in addition to the five-up ward save, do not take battle shock tests for friendly Skaven units wholly within 13 inches of this unit. Wow, really good. We have Poisonous Fumes, subtract one for wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons to target this guy. And then we have Pestilence, Pestilence again. It's a prayer, value three, 
13 inches. Pick a point on the battlefield within range, within three inches of that point. On a four up, unit suffers D3 mortals. Or clan pestilence heals D3 wounds. How many points is that sucker? The Plague Priest on Plague Furnace is 335. Wow. I mean, he does some cool stuff. I just don't know if he's... I think there are other things that are worth 335 points. So, Brendan, I'm going to let you target the next hero so I don't have to turn pages all over the place. So the next hero is on page 108. It's the Claw <laughs> Lord. He'd be my navigator this time. Yep. This is too much stuff. All right. Claw Lord. So the Claw Lord is six inch move, four up save, bravery six, five wounds. He's your clan verminous foot hero. The warp four blade, one inch range, six attacks, threes by threes, rend one damage two. Fair. He has cornered fury. Add the number of wounds allocated to this unit to the attacks characteristic of this unit's melee weapons. So cool. as he gets more hurt, he gets more dangerous. I think that's kind of neat. Um, that's pretty cool. An enraged rat. And he's pretty cheap too. He's got a command ability, Nash Gnaw on their bones. You use this when you pick a clan verminous unit to fight in the combat phase. That unit must receive the command, add one to the attacks characteristics of that unit's melee weapons in that phase. Nice. Okay. So it's clan verminous only. You know, the number of things that can receive it are limited, but the things that receive it are good so the next hero is master molder on Mm. page 111 okay master molder he is clans molder he's uh, six inch move five wounds five up save six bravery he has the warp stone tipped lash which is three inch range six attacks three by four minus one one damage the things catcher two inch range four attacks four by four minus one and two damage his first special rule is crack the whip at the start of your movement phase, you can pick one friendly clan's molder unit, wholly within 13. Until your next movement phase, you can add three to run rolls and charge rolls for that unit. In addition, until your next movement phase, add one to wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by that unit. This is good. good. And we're going to talk about this combo when we talk about factions. So here you have a unit that can hand out a plus three to run and a plus three to charge. The addition to the wound rolls is good as well, but... Keep this in mind for some combinations of things. Okay. And then we have Master Molder. In your hero phase, you can pick one friendly Clans Molder pack unit. Within three inches, heal D3 wounds allocated to that unit. Then we have Unleash More More Beasts. You can use this command ability if this unit's is on the battlefield when a friendly clan's molder pack unit is destroyed. If you do so, roll a dice on a three up. A new replacement unit, hooray! Identical to the one that was destroyed is added to your army. Set up that unit wholly within 12 inches of this unit and more than nine from all enemy units. Each destroyed unit can only be replaced once. Replaced units cannot themselves be replaced. Brendan, almost every time that I can think of that most armies bring back a unit, they bring back half as many. Mm -hmm. It does not say this here. You can bring back an entire unit. Correct. Oof. Yes. Oof. (laughs) That is really spooky, man. Yeah, so the things that have the Clan Molder Pack series of keywords are Rat Ogres and Rat Swarms. And you will find that one of those two things, oh, sorry, and Giant Rats, some of these things are markedly better to bring back than others. (laughs) Now, he is not unique, correct? No. You can have two of them and bring back two units. Correct. Wow. Okay. Okay, man. Well, well, you wouldn't need two of them to bring back two units when the units die. Okay, right. So you could have the one Master Molder who brings back two units, but they have to occur at different times. And it could be anywhere on the board they're destroyed, too. Correct. Wow, that is even better. Mm -hmm. They don't have to be within so many inches or anything. Wow. So the last hero we're going to talk about is the Death Master. Death Master is one of the actual new models that Skaven okay. got with this book. Seven, oh, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Seven-inch move, four-up save, bravery five, five wounds. This is uh, the Clan Eshin hero. 
He has the throwing stars, 12 inch range, five attacks, fours by fours, no rend, D3 damage. And then his weeping blade, one inch range, five attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage D3. He's a hidden killer. Uh, when you select this unit to be part of your army, you can pick one friendly clan rat, storm vermin, or night runner's unit that is already part of your army to be in the unit, which it is hiding. Record this on a secret piece of paper. You cannot hide more than one death master in the same unit. At the start of a combat phase, if this unit is hidden, you can reveal it. In addition, if the unit which is destroyed, you must reveal this unit before the last model in the unit in which it is hidden is removed. When you reveal this unit, set it up wholly within three inches of this unit in which it was hidden. The unit was revealed because the unit was hidden, was destroyed. This unit suffers one mortal wound after it is set up. That's a lot of words. What's the bottom line on this? You get to hide him in a unit. Okay. That's what's important. Yep. He's got Eshin Toxins. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made by this unit is a six, the target suffers D3 mortal wounds and the attack sequence ends. And then he is running death. This unit can run and still shoot later in the same turn. Okay. Cool. Whatever. A lot of heroes, but that's all of them. So I think we'll take a break here Yep. and we'll come back and we will talk about the sub factions and the building around it. And then we'll talk enhancements and then we'll finally get to the units. <laughs> so hopefully I, you've all remembered what all these heroes do because they do very specific and important things, which will be modified in specific and important ways in the next hour's worth of talking. <laughs> okay, fair enough then. We'll take a break here and then be right back. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Okay, folks, we're back, and we're going to talk about the great clans battle traits, starting with the overall kind of leader clan is the master clan specifically. It's a keyword, right, mm -hmm. that we're going to have. So why don't you talk about this one, Brendan? Yep. So the first rule that you get for master clan is roll a dice before you allocate a wound or a mortal wound to a friendly master clan hero that is not a monster or instead of making a ward roll for a wound or mortal wound that would be allocated to a friendly master clan hero that is not a monster. If that hero is within three inches of any friendly Skaven units that have three or more models, on a three up that wound or mortal wound is allocated to one of those units instead of that hero. Neat, it's a bodyguard for any master clan keyworded heroes that aren't monsters. Spirit hosts, essentially, yep. function the same way. Okay, yep. that's really powerful. So, so these are your grace ears. Yeah. You know, the, everything else that has master clan is big. Right, and they've already got a five-up ward. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep, so then there's always three claw steps ahead. This one is amazing. Yeah. It is quite good. Yeah. You can use, only use this command ability if you include three or more Master Clan heroes in your starting army. The Vermin Lord Warpseer counts as two. Yeah, I remember that rule, yep. Mm -hmm. There are three sets of rules here that you gain access to. Okay. After you pick a friendly Skaven unit to be your first unit to run in a phase and make a run roll for that unit, you can use that run roll in place of any other run rolls you make for friendly Skaven units until the end of that phase. That means that if you run with something that has a modifier, the dice plus the modifier is what you can give other units. <sighs> Pretty good. So remember how we talked about like, it was really only like 10 minutes ago of that plus three to run, plus three to charge from the master molder. Mm-hmm. So you can have other heroes that trigger this because it's just keyword Skaven that this is built off of. Sure. So you could give a pack of giant rats plus three to run, plus three to charge. <laughs> cool. Pretty sweet. Because the next rule that you get is after you pick a friendly Skaven unit to be your first unit to attempt a charge in a phase and make a charge roll, you can <laughs> use that charge roll in place of any other charge rolls you make for friendly Skaven units until the end of that phase. If you are sitting on plus three to charge and you roll, I don't know, a six, you can take that nine that you're adding and give it to all of the Skaven units in your army. Right. There's a lot of teleporting. There's a lot of things that, you know, in the form of the gnaw holes, in the form of Skitterleap, a spell that we'll talk about in a little bit. Dreaded Skitterleap, you know, just the moving across the board. Trying to land a long charge 
with a unit that has a lot of modifiers on it mm-hmm. is going to be a very common tool that you're going to see out of Skaven. Okay. The last one is a little less consequential than the first two, but no less important. After you pick a friendly Skaven unit to be your first unit to fight in a phase and make any pylon moves for that unit, you can make pylon moves for each other friendly Skaven units on the battlefield as within three inches mm. of any enemy units. This ability does not prevent a unit from making another pylon move when it is picked to fight. It effectively is giving you six inches worth of pylon that you can use to be really tricky and snake around and get around mm. different targets or, or get units within range of different things. Wow. Pretty good. good. Yeah, it's really good. You do need to have three Master Clan heroes or the equivalency of three Master Clan heroes. Mm-hmm. That's not going to be a tall order given that Gracier's are 125 points. Yeah. All right. The next one is Clan's Molder. This is the beasts and things like that that at the start of the first battle round after determining who has the first turn but before the first turn begins you can pick one hell pit abomination which is a really good unit we're going to talk about mm-hmm. in your army to have a mutation from the table opposite if you include three or more master molders yeah in your starting army you can pick each hell pit abomination in your army to have a mutation instead of only one the same hell pit abomination can add a more than one mutation and an army cannot include duplicates of the same mutation which is very typical of kind of mount trait kind of stuff where mm-hmm. you can't duplicate so we have six of these bad boys and they're all pretty good brendan yes the first one is tough and sinews the unit has a Wounds characteristic of 16 and a save of 4 up. Just what that thing needs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Lumbering Behemoth has a move characteristic of 7. In addition, charge rolls are automatically a 7. Wow. Now, you can get a plus 3 on that, right? Yeah. Yeah? Okay, so it's 7 plus whatever you have for bonuses. Okay. Well, so he's not a beast pack, so you wouldn't be oh, able to hand right. him okay. the plus 3. Gotcha. We have Quivering Bulk. Add one to each roll you make for this unit's Avalanche of Flesh ability. We'll talk about that. Accelerated Regen. You can use this unit's Regenerate Monstrosity ability in the enemy hero phase as well as your own hero phase. Wow, making things so much more resilient. And mm-hmm. it already is resilient. Best Best Warp Stone Spikes. You can re-roll dice when you use this unit's Warp Stone Spikes ability. And Backup Organs. You can re-roll the dice when you use this unit's Too Horrible to Die ability, which is a bring back this model yep. ability. So those are all really useful. I think you're most likely to see the first one and the last one. I think those are going to be your most common selections. I don't know that you're going to see a lot of four plus. Well, I guess you really can't do plus. You know, going to see more than one or two hell pits because in those cases, you're going to want to bring three or more master molders. Mm. You have so many choices. I don't know that that's a choice that you're going to make though. Okay. But you could bring four of these because they're beginners, right? You can bring four of them and you can bring, and if that's the case and you want to bring three master molders, so that all of them can get an ability. Sure, that makes perfect sense. So next up is Clans Eshin. At the start of the first battle round, after determining who is the first turn, but before the first turn begins, you can pick one enemy here on the battlefield. Add one to hit rolls and wound rolls for attacks made by Clan Eshin units that target that hero. Cool. If you include three or more Clan Eshin heroes, add one to hit and wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by friendly Clan Eshin units that target enemy heroes. Okay. Sure. That's only got one thing. Like, Mm -hmm. compared to some of these others, it's kind of scarce i don't know it's you get the one thing if you have three eshin heroes then you get to do the thing against all the heroes it's kind of lame yeah definitely and as we go through these listeners i think you're going to figure that out there is kind of a tier to Mm. this clan stuff there are some that are definitely at the top of the heap and they have just more stuff too sure that's effective so clan scryer this again is the one where we talked about they're kind of the mad scientists Mm -hmm. i think that you had said warpstone sparks is the first rule if you include any clan scryer heroes in your starting army at the start of the battle 
before either player starts deploying units, he can roll a D3 and add three to the roll. So D3 plus three. If you include three or more clans, Squire Heroes, to your starting army, you can roll a D6 and add three to the roll instead. The result is the number of Warpstone Sparks you receive that you can use during the battle. You cannot use more than one Warpstone Spark in the same phase, but you could in the same turn, right? Yeah. Yep. Each Warpstone Spark can be only used once in the battle to carry out one of the following abilities. First one, in your hero phase, pick one friendly Krillin Scry or Wizard. You can reroll casting a spelling and wow, unbinding rolls for that wizard until the end of that phase. At the start of that phase, roll a dice on one. Wizard suffers D3 mortals. Okay, fine. Pretty good. At the start of your shooting phase. And pick, this one is bonkers. Yeah. Pick one friendly, and these are the guys that want the shooting buffs. Yeah. At the start of your shooting phase, pick one friendly clan scryer hero. Then pick up to three different friendly clan scryer units wholly within 13. So that's wholly within of the hero. You can add one to the damage characteristic of missile weapons used by... Oh, God. By that unit until the end of the phase. At the end of the phase, roll a dice on a one. That hero suffers D3 mortal wounds. Wow, man. <laughs> Yep. That's crazed. That's so good. In the combat phase, man, it's just all over the place. When you pick a friendly clan scryer here to fight, you can say that that one will use the warp stone spark ability. If it does so, add one to hit and wound roll for attacks made by that hero until the end of that phase. At the end of the phase, roll a dice, son of one, D3 mortals. Okay. That's kind of lame because yeah. it's just the hero. The other two, pretty good. The other two, pretty good. The shooting one is bonkers. That's crazed. Yep. So clans verminous? Verminous? Oh, right. Yep. So verminous picks up a hero action that you can carry out with one friendly keyword claw lord, claw lord instead of picking one from table in the core rules if you do so pick one eligible command trait from pages 70 and 71 this card does not already have and apply its effect to this unit until the end of the turn mm -hmm. if you have three or more all of them can carry out this action and all of them can pick out a trait the same command trait cannot be picked with this ability more than once in the same turn okay there's a couple of good ones in there mm -hmm. i don't know that any of them are so good that you want to build a clan verminous heavy okay army Okay, got it. Those two that you did were so short. Why don't you do Clan's Pestilence? Because it's got a bunch of stuff. Sure. Clan's Pestilence has basically a set of plagues that you can unleash mm. on the battlefield. Yeah. When you make a chanting roll for a friendly Clan's Pestilence priest, you can add one to the chanting roll for each other friendly Clan's Pestilence priest wholly within 13 inches of the chanter. In addition, if the chanting roll for the prayer is chanted by a friendly Clan's Pestilence priest is a six up, you can pick one of the following great plagues to manifest in addition to the effect of the prayer. Each Great Plague can only manifest once per battle, and no more than one Great Plague can manifest in the same turn. Isn't this similar to, not exactly like, but similar to that deal with Nurgle, where if you have that clan or that... Oh, that bubble of wizards. Yeah, bubble of wizards kind of a thing. Similar, but different. Okay, yeah. Nothing is forcing you, you know, to have more of them, but you get pretty sizable benefits yeah. when you take more of them. So there are four plagues, all of them quite wordy. The first up is the Bubonic Blight Plague. If this plague manifests, pick the nearest enemy unit within 13 inches of the chanter. That unit is infected with the Bubonic Blight Plague. If several enemy units are tied to be the closest, you can pick which is infected. The infected unit suffers 2d6 mortal wounds. Okay. Gross. If the infected unit is destroyed by those mortal <laughs> wounds, you can pick another enemy unit within Jesus. six inches of the last model to be slain in the infected unit. 
That unit is now infected and suffers D6 mortal wounds. If that unit is likewise destroyed, you can pick another enemy unit within six inches. That unit is now infected and suffers D3 mortal wounds. <laughs> Continue in that manner until either a unit is not destroyed or there are no other enemy units within six inches of a destroyed it's unit. It's like chain lightning, man. It's really good. Yeah. It's cool. That's potentially like a mid to late game one to set up, you know, removing a bunch of units or mm. you try and spike the 2D6 to bring down something that's really important. Sure. The Crimson Wheel Curse, same thing, nearest enemy unit within 13 inches of the Chanter. That unit is infected with the Crimson Wheel Curse for the rest of the battle. If several enemies are tied, you can pick the closest one. The infected unit suffers one mortal wound. In addition, at the start of each turn, the infected unit and each other enemy unit within one inch of the infected unit suffers one mortal wound. This is like disease points. Kind yeah. Yeah. Similar, but this is the Skaven version of Nurgle, so... Yeah, it chips away. That one's all right. If you've got something that's going to be in the thick of things, then that's where you're going to see quite a bit of benefits. Sure. The Red Maw Plague... Pick the nearest enemy hero within 13 inches. That hero is infected. If several are the same, you pick. At the start of the combat phase, if the infected hero is within three inches of any other units in I your this one. opponent's <laughs> army and not within three inches of any other units in your army, then you can treat that hero as a friendly unit until the end of that combat phase. Oh, that's so great, man. And it doesn't matter, like, the size of the hero. Mm-hmm. Right, it could be some little guy, but it could be some huge hero too. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. It's that just, one's gnarly. That's pretty cool. I love that man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, love it. The last one is the Never Plague. If this Great Plague manifests, you can reroll chanting rolls for friendly clans, pestilence, priests for the rest of the battle. Oh, there's one more. So yeah. the Never Plague is one that you want to get out early, get yourself extra rerolls on your chanting. And the mm-hmm. actual last one, so there are five. The Undulant Scourge. If this Great Plague manifests, pick the nearest enemy unit within 13 and roll a dice for each model in the unit. If several pick, you pick your own. For each four up, that unit suffers one mortal wound. Horde Buster. Okay, yeah. Horde Buster followed by Plague, you know, it can be very reliable. Makes sense. It can be very reliable. So that's the clans, my friend. It is the clans. And now it's time to go on to enhancements. And this is kind of weird. There's just there's just this there's mishmash tables of and tables junk. and junk. So many of these. It's crazy. I would have much preferred they laid it out by the you know, requisite kind of keyword. Yep, that would have been helpful. So we're gonna pick a couple that we really like. Yeah. But there are one, two, three, a lot. There are a lot of these. When it comes to command traits, there's mm-hmm. two pages of command traits. Yeah. That's just nuts. Yes. Okay. Won't you hit us up with a couple? So I'm gonna start with the first combination necessary to making the Warbringer unbelievably stupid. Okay. Dan, I want you to go back an hour. Think about what we just talked about with the Warbringer's War Scroll. Yeah, and how powerful he is melee-wise. Six attacks, threes and threes, Ren 2, damage 2, with Flaming Weapon, damage 3, and then two attacks, effectively 2 by 2, Ren 2, damage 3, that you can bump up to damage 6 if it goes Mm -hmm. directly. So my first selection here, Devious Adversary. In the combat phase, this general fights within 3 inches of an enemy unit that has not yet fought in that phase. Add 2 to the attacks characteristics of this general's melee weapons until the end of that phase. So that would bring you up to 8 of those 3s by 3s, Ren 2, damage 3, because of the Flaming Weapon, and 4 of the 2 by 2 Ren 2 damage 3, potentially damage yeah. 6 weapons. Yep. Item number 1 in this combination. Okay. That's the command trait that you'd place on your Warbringer to get them where they need to go. Okay. So what's your pick, Dean? Okay, so I'm really, as I read through the book, I actually near the end is when I started getting the, kind of like, I could see something that's really fun. But the Clan Molder one is 
pretty good, I think. Okay. And the one I thought was Molder Supreme, where a clan's Molder hero add one to hit rolls and wound rolls for attacks made by friendly fighting beasts, wholly within 13 inches. Fighting beasts are, for example, the Abomination. Rat ogres are fighting beasts. And I'm just thinking... That would be so good for those particular units if you're into that particular clan. Okay. But I, I just thought as I'm looking at all the clans, that's the one that actually has the biggest interest. So that's why I picked that one. We're going to pick one other one. What do you think for another one? My next one isn't very exciting. It's Master of Magic for Master Clan Hero okay. only. You can reroll casting, dispelling, and unbinding rolls for this general. This is better than the Master of Magic in the core rules mm. uh, because that is for only one spell. We have a lot of two cast to unbind wizards. Yes. This is exceptional. It's one of the things that allows your warp seer to be more effective. It also mm. allows your gray seers to be very effective. Okay. The other one that I kind of like being a, a science guy is the clan scryer, the mad scientist guys. Okay. Yep. So I think that whole warp stone spark piece is really, really good. Mm-hmm. especially at least for that clan for enhancing. So I picked Masterful Scavenger, where you can add two to the number of Warpstone Sparks you can use during the battle. So you're already getting a pretty significant amount because if you have three or more heroes, you're getting a D6 and adding three. In this case, you're getting a D6 and adding five. Mm-hmm. On average, that's going to be eight of those Warp stones that you can use during the battle sometime. Pretty darn good. I've got one more that yeah, I'd no, like please. to make a claim towards. In the realm of Clan Scryer Heroes, Deranged Inventor. <laughs> um, at the start of your shooting phase, you can pick one friendly Clan Scryer oh. unit wholly within 13 inches of this general. One to hit rolls for attacks made with missile weapons by that unit until the end of that phase. We obviously already talked about what sparks do, where it adds damage. So this is a free all-out attack, effectively. When we talk about Storm Fiends, you can see the benefit of having multiple units that are capable of achieving the same result. And one of the weird things, we'll talk about it, but I think Storm Fiends are actually two different, they have two clan keywords. I think they have Mulder and they they have Scryer, I think. So yeah, that could use us all kinds of fun stuff with them. (laughs) So when we get to them, listeners, but okay. So that's command traits that we picked. There are many, many more, but we're going to move on then to artifacts of power. Yes. So, and again, two whole pages of these things. This book is just chocked full of stuff and you're going to have a lot of choices, of course, depending on your choice of clan, you know, Mm -hmm. really, because that's where this focus is. So, Brennan, what was your first pick? Yep. Again, powering up the Warbringer. We've already got the Warbringer at an extra four attacks total on their profile. We've got an extra damage on the eight attack weapon. Mm-hmm. The next pick is the Warpstone Charm, which you give to the clan Verminous, Verminous Hero that is the Warbringer. Mm-hmm. Subtract one from save rolls for enemy units within three inches of bearer. At the start of your hero phase, roll a dice. On a one, the bearer suffers D3 mortal wounds. Cool, fine, whatever. You now have eight attacks that are threes by threes, ren three, damage three, and four attacks that are twos by twos, ren three, damage three. Perfect. There's one more combination to give in this section. So what's your pick, Dan? Okay, so the first one I picked, again, getting back to Mulder, is Falhide. I just think about their heroes, the four little guys, Mm -hmm. are all either five or six wounds. The bearer has a wounds characteristic of 10. So you're taking those little guys and just significantly increasing their resilience and as important and as impactful as they are being able to give them 10 wounds is really good and at the start of your hero phase you can heal a wound but i just love that when i think of the little guys and what we talked about of what they can do yeah so that i think that one's really good my last pick here is the last bit of turbo power for the warbringer (laughs) all right right remember we're at eight and four ren three on all of these weapons all of them are damage three really good 
Okay. Skaven Brew. Master Clan Hero. Once mm. per turn in your hero phase, you can pick one other friendly Skaven unit within three inches of the bearer. That unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Fine, you have a four up ward. But you can add one of the attacks characteristics of melee weapons used by that unit until your next hero. Wow. So that's nine attacks at threes by threes, oh, round three damage. That's three. on the Warmaster. You know, and then five attacks. That's crazy. That are twos and twos, rend three, damage three, up to damage six. That is nuts. You have the spell Death Frenzy to fight on death. So there's an opportunity to fight, maybe get killed, fight again. But I wish the opponent the best of luck in attempting to kill a unit (laughs) that does that much damage. Oh, God. Okay, cool. So, yeah. All right, nice. Mm-hmm. So my next one, again, I'm going back and forth between Molder and Scryer, is the Brass Orb. Ooh. I just thought it was really interesting. Once per battle, at the start of your hero phase, you can pick one enemy unit within six inches of the bear, roll a dice on a three-up. Now, of course, here we go. It's on a three-up once mm. per battle. You know, you can spike it, whatever. Remove that unit from the battlefield. That is just freaking awesome. At the end of that turn, your opponent must set that unit up again on the battlefield, wholly within their territory, more than nine inches from all enemy units that is just amazing i'm just thinking as somebody who worked really hard Hmm. to work and get one of their really big impactful units across the board to get engaged in some really important set of conflicts over there and you just walk them up you roll that three up like hey just move back 20 inches or 24 inches from where you are now that would just drive somebody nuts it just seems like it's super good and super fun if it goes off so that was the second one that i had thought about and another one i just wanted to mention that I think is cool. Now, I don't because I think options for Clan Eshin, I think you really have to want to play these guys. I think you really have to have an interest in their lore and stuff because they don't have a lot of really strong, I don't think, this yeah. is my opinion, enhancements. But I think that the Gnaw Bomb is really fun because once for a battle in your hero phase, you can pick one terrain feature within six inches of the bearer until your next hero phase, that terrain feature has the scenery rules from the Gnaw Hole War Scroll. So you can just randomly create a Gnaw Hole on the board where Wherever you want to. Yeah. And that's really good. Yeah. Because so we're going to talk about those. For a turn, you get to do that. Yeah. Cool. It's it good. It creates an upfield delivery system. And again, that's one of those things, you know, as you talk about a lot, you have to sometimes play a turn or two ahead as you're looking at the board. That obviously is what you would do with this and just say, hey, I want something here. I need to get somebody in position. Boom. And they have a lot of ways to deliver heroes or units where you want them to. They have a lot of sneaky get stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of interesting things here. So I have one more. It's a piece of anti-Purple Sun technology. Oh, awesome. The Staff of Rightful Supremacy, Master Clan Hero Only. Subtract one from casting rolls for enemy wizards within 13 inches of the bearer. Wow. In addition, once per battle in your hero phase, when a friendly unit attempts to dispel an endless spell that is within 13 inches of the bearer, that endless spell is automatically dispelled. Perfect. That's great. So you're making it more difficult to do the casting, and then you're also taking it off the battlefield when it's time to go. Wow. Very good, man. Spells, Dan. All right. Spells, spells, spells. spells. Oh, my gosh. Ah, There's so much stuff. These are actually reasonable. Yeah. We have two uh, spell lores, and we have a prayer lore kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. The first one is Lore of Ruin, and this is a Gracier only skitter leap is the one i'm jumping on here yeah that one's pretty good i think it's really good so it's a spell casting value of six a range of 13 if successfully cast pick one friendly skaven hero with a wounds characteristic of 13 or less Ooh, that would be vermin lords wouldn't it i believe yes of course it's everything but thankful and the bells in the furnace yep 
Remove that hero from the battlefield, set it up again on the battlefield more than nine inches from all enemy units. Hero cannot move in the following movement phase. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. What do you got for that? Death Frenzy, right? So that can be paired with the Warbringers. Mm-hmm. Dreaded Death Frenzy, so you can have up to four units that fight on death, which is pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, then the next one is for Clan Scryer. This one to me is a no-brainer. Uh, <laughs> this is more, more, more warp power. <laughs> Casting value yeah. of a seven, range of 13 inches. Yep. If successfully cast, pick one friendly Clan Scryer unit wholly within range and visible to the caster. Add one to hit and wound rolls for attacks made by that unit until your next hero phase. However, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds at the end of your next hero phase. Okay, cool. Storm Fiends. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> So, yeah, that was my choice as well. I mean, okay. I mean, for interest, we could do another one, but I think that one is... That's your winner. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Dan, why don't you pick the first prayer? Okay. These are for clans, pestilence, priests only. Mm-hmm. And I think I really like Rabid Rabid. Okay. Is a prayer that has an answer value of three and a range of 13. If answer, pick one friendly clan's pestilence unit within range invisible to the chanter. Add one to the attacks characteristics of melee weapons used by that unit until your next hero phase. I'm thinking of like plague monks or something like that. Sensor bearers. Yeah, sensor bearers with, you know, big, big numbers. I think, aren't plague monks 25 mil? Yep. Yeah, so I mean, thinking about that and what they already have for special rules when we talk about them, I think that would be really, really useful. How about you? Yeah, I think all three of these are equally good, honestly. One of the ones we're thinking about is disease, disease. Mm -hmm. Answer value three, range 13. Pick one enemy unit within range, invisible to chancer. Roll a dice for each model in that unit. The models don't have to be in range. The unit has to be in range. For each five up, that unit (laughs) suffers one mortal wound. The prayer has no effect on Nurgle units. The last one is a plus one to wound as well. Like Mm -hmm. this is a solid prayer lore yep keeping in mind that pestilence has a lot of priests they can take curse so that there's extra mortal wounds out on the battlefield you're talking about volume in rabid rabid pestilence is going to have some wheels that they can turn to do a lot of damage to a lot of things the other thing is don't we have ways pretty reliable ways of giving them plus one to pray even more than plus one so i mean but the point is you're always going to fail on one but but talk about reliability here right for their casting so this is why if you're going to run pestilence you're going to have a bunch of them basically you're going to be getting realistically plus three to your chanting roll Mm -hmm. you are then going to be very likely to trigger great plagues the first great plague you want to get out is (laughs) the reroll chanting rolls because then you are going to then increase your opportunity to trigger more great plagues and get these other ones off. It's just like a vector. It just spreads. Like exactly. That. Yeah, that's perfect. Very thematic, too. So those are all of the enhancements. Those are all the battle traits. Yep. That is the necessary context and reference to talk about the rest of this book. There are so many mechanisms, so many levers that you can pull to improve the quality of your heroes, which in turn improve the quality of the units that are around them. Yes. The book is written in such a way where you are incentivized to play kind of in a more narrow scope. If you want to play all scryer you know that's cool you can kind of pick two almost like you can mm-hmm. be master clan and something else or you can be you know scryer and something else or you can be scryer and some things around it or brendan so unlike a lot of books where we have our sub factions you pick one here you can have multiple sub factions yeah which is also incredibly powerful yes wow Yes. That's insane. Yeah. And the way that their like unique battle line stuff works differently, it's based on the number of heroes of that kind that Mm -hmm. you take. You know, like you can have 
a unit of plague monks be battle line for each unit of pestilence heroes that you have in your army. Mm -hmm. One of the nice things is that this army hasn't been given loads and loads and loads of extra reinforcement points. Mm -hmm. The Skaven player still has to be judicious about the choices that they make. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting too, because we know that three is the magic number in terms of heroes to try to get that you know, buff in your enhancements and stuff. And so you could take three from one clan, three from another. That's your six. Yep. But you could get the major buffs for two clans. It's a lot of points in yes. heroes. I say that, but, you know, knowing that gray seers are 125 <laughs> points. Right. Right. Plague priests are 100 points. Right. So you can get to that number at 675 points and be full pestilence and full master clan together yeah, yeah that's so so powerful so, so the first unit dan is <laughs> just a that we're gonna talk about is giant rats with lots of weapons these yes. are storm fiends they're just so good storm fiends have formed the anchor of the most competitive skaven list prior to this new book at atc we had adam trunzo playing skaven who took two units of six storm fiends so they are absolutely just as powerful as they look on paper and one of the things we did talk about earlier is they have two clan keywords yes so they have squire and molder so you can get those buffs from both if you yeah where the keywords line up right correct, correct yep so we got six inch moves six wounds four up save six bravery the weapons loadouts both uh, ranged and melee are it can be a little confusing so they're units of three yep one guy can be armed with warp fire projectors and clubbing blows or mm. wind launchers and clubbing blows. So that's a decision point between them. Right. One of them can be armed with uh, grinder fists or rattling cannons and clubbing blows. Mm -hmm. Clubbing blows are pretty good as a base melee yeah. profile. No kidding. You know, the last one can either be armed with Doomflayer gauntlets and warpstone laced armor or shock gauntlets and warpstone laced armor. When you're talking about these profiles, know that you can't just arm the whole unit with, with whatever your favorite one is. Right. There are two melee decisions you have to make, you know, a melee and a ranged decision you have to make, and a ranged range decision you have to make. Right. You need to look at those combinations first and almost write them down and make a little matrix for yourself so you understand what your choices are mm -hmm. before you look at the profiles and get all excited. Oh, I can take six of these. Well, no, you no. probably can't. So you need to be careful and judicious. Plan ahead how you want to equip those six storm fiends or whatever it is in the unit it's base three and then yep. storm fiends can be made battle line which would bring them up to a unit <laughs> of nine it's... but they're 320 points for three yeah. a 960 point units okay maybe That's not true. the best choice <laughs> right and animad units of six so yes his were around 650 points or so something like right. that there's there's 640 for Ooh. for each unit of wow. six so that's yeah. 1280 points for the significant two. yeah all right so let's talk about the profiles though so now that we know that we have to be careful about what we pick and how we load these guys out so the first one is rattling cannons 12 inch range 3d6 attacks three by threes minus one one we have wind launchers which are 24 inches three attacks four by threes minus three rend which is great and then d3 damage and then we have warp fire projectors they have a special deal that you don't use the attack sequence for attacks made with warp fire projectors instead roll a dice for each model and the target unit that's within range on a four up one mortal okay mm -hmm. and it's eight inch range so yep. it's not huge but so then we have four melee weapons we have the Doomflayer gauntlets which is 2d3 attacks three by three minus two d3 damage we have grinder fists 
which are, these are all one inch, mm -hmm. the melee weapons. Four attacks, everything else here has one inch, four attacks. The grinder fists are three by three, minus two, two. The shot gauntlets are three by threes, minus one, two. And the clubbing blows are four by threes, no rend and two damage. So on average, every one of those melee attacks is gonna do two damage, on average, uh, if you consider the D3. So the Doomflayer gauntlets add one to the attacks characteristic of gauntlets if the attacking model has made a charge move in the same turn. Great. Now, here's another one. Grinder Fist Tunnelers. This <laughs> is just so stupid with a unit like this. If this unit includes any models armed with Grinder Fists, instead of setting up this unit on the battlefield, you can place it to one side and say it was set up in the underground. At the end of your movement phase, you can set it up anywhere on the battlefield more than nine inches from all enemy units. <laughs> the trade-off with that is rattling uh, cannons. Yep. That's not a good trade, I don't think. No. 3d6 or you can deep strike. Ooh. I, yeah. Especially understanding that you have access to plus one to hit and plus one to wounds. So you'd be twos and twos. Rend one with a warpstone spark, you'd be damage two. Or you could be 3d6 with that. I'll take the 2d6, please. That's much yeah. better. Shock gauntlets, then. If an unmodified hit roll for an attack made with shock gauntlets is six, the attack scores d6 hits on the target instead of one. Make a wound roll, save roll for each one. Fair enough. We talked about warp stone projectors. Warp laced armor. They have a wound characteristic of seven instead of six. Yep. So one and three are wound yeah. seven. Okay. So it's a 19 wound block of three that you're paying 320 points for. It's really good, though. And wind launchers target attack does not have to be visible to the attacking model. Okay. In addition, add one to wound rolls for attacks made with wind launchers if the target unit has 10 or more models. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty good. Warpstone sparks are really effective here, bumping up the damage on the wind launchers to D3 plus one and uh -huh. the rattling cannons to two. More and more and more warp power would put you at twos and twos and threes and twos with the range profile weapons. Obviously you can't put that on all of them, but the trait that we talked mm -hmm. about where you're plus one to hit would put you at twos and threes and threes and threes. And then you'd have a free all at attack to spend later. All sure. of that can be done with no command points. Which right? is amazing. That's really and they are pretty resilient or they can be. Yeah, they really are. There's six wounds at a four-up save, yeah. and I mean, good luck getting close to him. Sure. Well, that's the whole issue, right? I told you that story mm -hmm. about um, the guy using Thankful, and yeah, she unleash hell, my friend. Crazy stuff. Yep. Okay, here we go. This is another iconic unit. Yeah, the Warp Lightning Cannon. Three-inch move, four-up save, bravery four, eight wounds. It's a piece of artillery. It's a war machine. It's got the Warp Lightning Blast, which is 24-inch range. Mm -hmm. You don't use the attack sequence. Instead, you roll a dice to determine the power of the attack. Then you roll six more dice. For each roll that is equal to or greater than the power of that attack, the target suffers one mortal wound. So you want to roll ones. Yeah. <laughs> But before you roll the dice to determine the power of an attack made with a warp lightning blast, if there's a friendly warlock engineer within three inches of this unit, you can say that the engineer will increase the weapon's power output. Of course. <laughs> if you do so, roll 12 more dice instead of six more dice for the attack. However, for each unmodified roll of a one on those 12 dice, this unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. After the attack has been resolved, the same unit cannot benefit from this ability more than once per phase. When up on average, you're going to roll two ones, so. Yep. All right. And then in melee, it's got... D6 attacks, one inch range, fours by fours, yeah, no rent damage, one. Whatever. Yeah, so if you roll the one, <laughs> as long as you roll higher than the one, it's doing a lot of mortal wounds. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely an interesting exchange. Mm -hmm. It's 150 points, and that is 150 points that can be incredibly well spent. Sure. If I tell you that I have a unit that's 150 points, and, you know, I can't guarantee it, 
However, there's going to be an opportunity to potentially do six to 12 mortal wounds to the target of your choice within 24 pick inches. Pick me, pick me. Yeah. Right. That outright is an exchange of a small foot hero that is potentially doing all of the buffs to your opponent's army. That's very effective. The next unit is Clan Scryer. It's a Scryer's Acolytes. It's a six inch move, one wound, six up save, four bravery, has poison wing globes, nine inch range, one attack, three by threes, minus two D3 damage, and then rusty knives are one inch, one attack, four by fours, uh, one damage, no rent. These can get up to D3 plus one damage. They yep. can be targets for more, more, more warp power. Yep. It can run and shoot, which is really good. Gas clouds add one to the wound rolls for attacks made with poison wing globes. If the target unit has 10 or more models. 75 points for five. Pretty good unit. Pretty good return on investment there, yeah. Exactly. Oh, here's another. Man, there's some iconic stuff is still classic, here. So. Classic, classic, oh. classic unit, the Doom Wheel. Doom Wheel. 46-inch move. Four up save, bravery seven, eight wounds. It's a war machine. It has warp bolts, 13 inch range, D6 attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage D3. Mm-hmm. It has more, more warp bolts. <laughs> Um, before you determine the attack's characteristics of warp bolts, you can say that it is overcharging the generator. If you do so, the attack's characteristics is 2d6. Uh, However, if you roll a double, this unit suffers 2d6 mortal wounds after all of its attacks have been resolved. Exploding doom wheel. It can be d3 plus 1 damage. This is something that can be 2s by 2s. This can be very good. In combat, it has the grinding wheel, 1 inch range, d6 attacks, 3s by 3s, rend 1, damage 1, and the teeth and knives, 6 attacks, 4s by 4s, no rend damage 1. Has rolling doom. When this unit moves, it can pass across models of the wound characteristic of 3 or less in the same manner as the unit that can fly. In addition, after it is moved, roll a dice for each unit that has any models it passed across, and for each other unit within 1 inch of this unit at the end of its move. On a 2-up, that unit suffers d3 mortal wounds. Yeah. More more speed. When you make a normal move with this unit, you can re-roll the roll... That determines its move characteristics. However, if any of those dice are an unmodified one, your opponent makes your normal move with this unit instead of you. <laughs> Lovely. It's a war machine. It counts as a behemoth. It doesn't count as a piece of artillery. It's 185 points. The ceiling's pretty high on it, but the floor is impossibly low. <laughs> low. Yep. <laughs> All right. A couple ones we're going to talk about here that have this hidden weapon team rule, and this mm-hmm. is really spooky as well. The first one is a warp fire thrower. It's a six inch move, three wounds, six up save, four bravery, and the warp fire thrower has an 8 inch attack and it's the same as all of the other warp fire throwers yep, we come across. Absolutely. So for each 4 up, unit suffers a mortal. And we could do more and more warp fire of course. If you do pick to do more and more warp fire, you are disabling the flow regulator, which of course why wouldn't you do that if you were a Skaven? <laughs> Increase the range characteristic to 12 for attacks and add one to the roll that determines if any enemy units suffer one mortal wound. So that would mean you'd be going on a three up, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. However, for each unidentified one, this unit suffers one mortal wound. All right, it's got three wounds. The Hidden Weapons Team rule. This is really, really cool. When you select this unit to be part of your army, you can pick one friendly clan rats or storm vermin unit that has 10 or more models and say that this unit is hiding in it. Record this information, blah, blah, blah. Do not set up this unit until it's revealed as described next. You can hide one thrower in a unit uh, for every 10 models in that unit. So if you had a unit of 30 clan rats, you could hide three of these teams Mm -hmm. and get three warp fire throwers. So at the start of your shooting phase, you can reveal this hidden unit. If you do so, set it up wholly within three inches of the unit. It was hiding in more than three inches from any units. This unit can shoot in that phase in which it is revealed as long as the unit in which it was hiding did not run in the same turn that's pretty scary too and then rattling guns why don't you talk about them because they are related in the 
way that they are a hidden weapon team as well. Same hidden weapon team rule as them. Same profile. The difference is it's a rattling gun, 12-inch range, 2d6 plus 3 attacks, 4s by 4s, rend 1, damage 1, and some rusty knives. 1-inch range, 2 attacks, 4s by 4s, no rend damage 1. You can give them more and more warp lead before <laughs> determining the attack's characteristic. You can choose to it to be 4d6 plus 3 instead of 2d6 plus 3. 4d6? <laughs> However, if the roll includes any doubles, this unit is destroyed after all of its attacks have been resolved. Oh, um, God. Again, a, tar- a unit eligible for more, more, more warp power, eligible for a warp stone to be damaged to. 46 mm. plus 3 is worth throwing away at a unit. Oh, yeah. Potentially when you're 65 points. That works for me. Yep, absolutely. Just blow something off the board before I blow up. I'm all down with that. So Yeah, because if you don't roll any doubles, you live to shoot another day. <laughs> yeah, right. Sign me up. And you can afford to have th- you know, three or four of these things. I mean, it's yeah. for nothing, for almost nothing, for a bazillion shots. Yes. The ones that I found a couple times I played Skaven that were annoying as heck is the Gisales. They are six-inch move. Two wounds, five up, four bravery. So they're Warpstone Snipers. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with a Gisela 6, the target unit suffers two mortal wounds, attack sequence ends, but they have a pavase, which is like a shield, you mm-hmm. know, it's kind of thing. You can add one to hit rolls for attacks made with Gisales if this unit remains stationary. In addition, add one to save rolls for attacks made with missile weapons that target this unit. The Gisele is a 30-inch range. One attack, threes by threes, minus two, and two damage. They're good. The fact that they're one attack a piece, I think is, I don't want to say a letdown. They count as a piece of artillery. There's three of them mm-hmm. for 120 points. Okay. 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 Yeah. Right? Like, you can't reinforce them, so their ability to take benefit from other units is pretty low. They'd be good for sniping heroes if you don't have a way to save heroes. Yeah, kinda. Yeah. For the points cost, I would much rather spend the extra 30 points and take a Warp Lightning Cannon. Oh, sure. That makes perfect right? sense. You get two more wounds. You have the chance of doing more reliable a mortal bazillion. wound damage. You have a built-in better save. They occupy similar roles, and I just don't think that, that these are the menace that they once were. I'm not saying that your experience wasn't No, wasn't and it was a bad accurate. experience, yeah. let me tell you. Um, okay, so we're saying they're a little different, and there's other yeah. things that are more worthwhile now. I think there's points. some scarier stuff. Okay. So let's finish out the Scryer units, and then we'll take another break. Yep, sounds like a plan. Doomflayer. Another hidden unit. 2d6 inch move, 5 up save, 4 bravery, 3 wounds. It has the whirling blades, 1 inch range, d6 attacks, 3s by 3s, rend 2 damage 2. The rusty knives, 1 inch range, 2 attacks, 4s by 4s, no rend damage 1. These are like Skaven bikes, you yeah, know? Yeah, <laughs> kinda. <laughs> kinda, yeah. You the have one of the attacks so characteristics of whirling blades if it made a charge move in the same turn. Cool. More more whirling death, much like all of the other rules. Before you determine the attacks characteristics, you can kick it into overdrive, roll 2d6 instead of d6 if the roll is either a double or a seven the which unit is, is destroyed which is really common <laughs> yeah so uh. that's a choice for this one you reveal it at the end of your charge phase as opposed to the shooting phase for the mm-hmm. other ones mm-hmm. that's definitely a choice you can make mm-hmm. doom flare compared to the other ones no not as high on it it still is 65 points but when you're comparing a flamethrower in the warp fire thrower at 70 points, or the Rattling Gun, also at 65 points. Sure. I think I'm taking the Rattling Gun. Absolutely. All day. All day. Now, this last one is fun. Very mm-hmm. scaven Yeah, it's kind of like a hidden unit, but not really. Right. So it's the Warp Grinder. 
six inch move, three wounds, six up save, four bravery. So their special rule. Oh, and they have the warp grinder, which is D6 attacks, three by threes, minus two, two damage. So, which is actually pretty good. Yep. The fact that it's, you know, 75 points mm-hmm. and once it's done its job, you can just throw it away at mm-hmm. something. Yep. So during deployment here, they're tunnel skulkers. Instead of setting up this unit on the battlefield, you can place it to one side and say it is set up tunneling as a reserve unit. If you do so, when you would set up another friendly scaven unit that is not a monster or a war machine, during deployment, you can say that it will join this unit tunneling as a reserve unit when you can join this unit in that way. This is kind of like, I'm thinking of the, like a Lord of Afflictions or mm-hmm. an, that other hero that they have who can, uh, Nurgle has that can have people join them. It's kind of that kind of mechanic. So at the end of your movement phase, you can set up this unit on the battlefield more than nine inches from all enemy units. Then if a friendly scaving unit joined this unit in reserve, set up that unit on the battlefield wholly within 13 of this one and more than nine from enemy units. Useful, for sure. Yeah. If you want to play that way. It's another means of getting around the board. You have a lot of natural teleports. You have a lot of things that can get things where they need to go. Skitter Leap Bridge, Gnawhole, Laoshan. This is just another way to do it. Absolutely. Listeners, we're going to take another break because we got a lot to talk about still. And we will be right back. Here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. Okay, is he diving right back in, listeners? Brendan, why don't you start us off? This is Clan Pestilence stuff. So this is the Nurgle Rats, really. Yep, starts right off with their artillery piece, the Plague Claw. Three-inch move, five-up save, bravery four, six wounds. The Plague Claw catapult has a minimum range of six and a maximum of 30, one of the rare minimum range weapons. Mm-hmm. One attack, threes by twos, ren two, damage d6. Rusty knives, one-inch range, d6 attacks, fours by fours, no ren damage one. The Barrage of Disease... The target doesn't have to be visible to the play claw catapult, which is certainly a good thing. Because in addition, if the target has 10 or more models, you add one to the hit rolls, bringing it up to threes and twos. Now you've only got one shot at it, so you better make it count. In addition, you increase the damage characteristic to 2d6. Wow. At Ren 2, that can be pretty gnarly. And then they have Hideous Death. Add two to the Battleshock rolls for units targeted by friendly units with this ability during that turn. That's important because it's just targeted. You don't have to hit. You don't have to wound. You don't have to kill. You just have to pick out as a target unit with the Plague Claw, and they are minus two effectively on, you know, you're adding to two the bravery role. I mean, you could use that against, I'm just thinking of units of large monsters, you know, that have, or units have a lot of wounds, like five or six wounds, whatever. And those are the ones that you want to get battle shock on. Man, if you could do this, you just target them. Like you said, you don't even have to do anything to them. It helps when you do damage. Yeah. Right. And somebody else could take off a model. And suddenly they're in the testing range. Yes. Which is really cool. Because something like, you know, flies, which I believe are bravery eight, when they lose one, it doesn't matter. They don't have to roll any dice. The highest they can roll is seven. Right. You lose the one, you're adding three to that. Now, if you roll a six, another one goes. The fact that you're making your opponent have to roll dice is critical. It's yep. so important. Yeah. This is a nice add-on for when you do some horde busting to help kind of tip it over another level. But this can be used in kind of a sneaky and judicious way in some cases. Okay. Plague Monks. Plague Monks. Plague Monks, Brendan. Plague Monks. A six inch move, one wound, six up save, five bravery. They have a pair of fetid blades, which is one inch range, two attacks, three by fours. No rend here anywhere, but that's okay because they got some other stuff going on. One damage, and then we have a fetid blade and woe stave, which is two inch range, Whoa. two attacks, 
Four by fours, one damage. Champion can be a bringer of the word. One of the things that's important to note here, this is the first unit that we've come across that takes benefit of big horde fighting. Mm -hmm. So you get plus one to the range of your weapons for every 10 models in your unit. So mm -hmm. that allows you to fight in, you know, the full, if you take this as a battle line unit, getting your full 30 guys in with the parafetted blades or definitely getting all of your guys in with the blade and woe staff, even if you just have 10 of them. Absolutely. We have standard bear. One in every 10 models could be a standard bear with the icon of entropy. If it includes, if the unit includes any icons, each time a model from this unit is slain by an attack made with a melee weapon, but before removing it, roll a dice on a six. Pick one enemy unit within three inches of the slain model. That unit suffers one mortal wound. Yeah, okay. Musician, one in every ten, can be a harbinger. Add one to run and charge rolls. If this unit includes any of those. Book of Woes. Whoa. So your bringer of the word in the unit, you roll a dice, one or two, nothing. Three or four, unit suffers one mortal. Five or six, unit suffers D3. No effect on Nurgle units. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then we have fetid weapons. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with melee weapon by this unit is a six, the attack has a random minus two. Woof. That is pretty good. Yeah. You know, you're at two attacks apiece. Mm -hmm. And then if you look at literally your next roll, you're getting plus one to the attacks characteristics of this unit's melee weapons if it made a charge move in the same turn. That means each model's getting three attacks. If you're a battle line unit. Yes. And you've taken the unit up to full size of 30, that's 90 attacks off the charge where sixes are ren two. Wow. You're still damage one. You know, you're still threes by fours or fours by fours. Mm -hmm. you, know, you can use all attack to make that better. There are some pretty dangerous and gnarly moments mm -hmm. that you can get into with this, but surprisingly punchy, right? And when you think yeah. about prayers that you can give these guys, yes. where you can give them plus one to wound to be threes by threes or fours by threes, or giving them an extra attack, mm -hmm. uh, bringing them up to four, bringing them up to 120 attacks for a unit of 30. <laughs> off the charge. Uh, uh. And as you said, you know, we were talking about the prayers. They're all pretty good. Mm -hmm. So you have multiple options for how you want to enhance a unit of these guys. High level of damage yep. that you can kick out. Yep. Just masses. How about the sensor bearers? So the sensor bearers are really good. Sensor bearers are six inch move, six up save, bravery five, two wounds apiece. They have the plague sensor, one inch range, three attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage two. You add one uh, if they made a charge move, so they'd be four attacks. They can take benefit of, you know, plus one attack from the prayers. Add one to wound rolls for attacks made by this unit if it's holy with an eight inches of any friendly plague monks units so you don't even necessarily need to put the prayer on them mm -hmm. so they would be threes by twos all attack would give you twos by twos on up to potentially five attacks per model mm -hmm. at rend one and damage two and you subtract one from the wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons that target this unit yep and this is five for 90 points yeah, that's yeah. pretty good. That is really good. It's 10 wounds worth of model. They don't have anything inherently on their scroll to help them get into combat. Mm -hmm. But if you've taken three Master Clan units, you can use that first buffed up charge to take a unit of 10 of these and chuck them into combat. Now, that's potentially what you're spending your reinforcements on, points on. But I think if you're doing this, multiple small units is probably the way to go. Make your yeah. opponent have to roll a bunch of dice against a bunch of different units. Yeah, it's a total of 10 wounds for every 90 points on a 6-up save, which isn't going to be difficult to get through. But if you force your opponent to have to pick across so many, the attack allocation is going to screw up at some point. Okay. Yeah. All right, where are we going to go next? Clan Rats is next. Here we go. Your classic unit of clan rats six inch move five up save bravery four one wound you have to pick between the rusty blade and the rusty spear the rusty blade one inch range one attack fours by fours no run damage one 
The Spear, two inch range, one attacks, five by fours, no rend damage one. Again, another unit that benefits strongly from getting the extra range mm -hmm. so that you can get the rusty blades up to three inch range, which is pretty good. Mm -hmm. So if you're running them in big units, it's almost like the wisdom is backwards. In these cases, having these big units, you know, potentially up to big units of 60, I don't know that the spears are any better for you. I, right, I was I, just going to say that because you don't need the range. No, and with, these are obviously going to be Galatian veterans, so in smaller units, you just fight two ranks deep instead, or three ranks, yeah, I guess it would just be two ranks deep. Not super sure where the role of the spear plays into, into it with this unit, but in any case, it's got a champion, you get plus one of the attacks characteristic. You can be a banner bearer, which means you can retreat and still charge later in the turn. Ghosts, but ghost light. The musician, add two to run rolls for this unit. And then they have the seething swarm. At the end of the battle shock phase, you can return D3 slain models to this unit. Okay. It's a, it's a slow bit of regeneration, which is neat. They come in units of 20, which is good, right? It saves you on some of the reinforcements. And it's 100 points for, for 20 of them. Okay. So a fully reinforced unit of 60 is only 300 points. <laughs> We have Stormer Vermin next. Mm -hmm. They have six inch move, one wound, four up save, and six bravery. A little better, as you would expect. The champion adds one to attacks. Uh, one in every ten can be a standard bearer. This unit can still re can retreat and still charge in the turn if it includes any Storm Vermin standard bears. Retreat and charge. Good stuff. One in every ten models can be a drummer. Add two to run rolls. The weapon is a rusty halberd. One inch range, two attacks, three by threes, minus one, one damage. Elite bodyguards, if a friendly skaven hero is within three inches of this unit, before you allocate a wound or mortal wound to the hero, instead of making a ward roll, to the hero roll a dice, add two to the roll if the hero has the clan's verminous keyword on a four up, that wound or mortal wound is allocated to this unit instead of the hero. Kind of a bummer. The Storm Vermin are 135 points for 10 of them. They just don't seem to fit a really good role in this book. They just don't have enough attacks or they don't have enough render. They just don't do enough damage. You know, yeah, you can get more attacks if you give them the command ability from the Claw Lord, which mm -hmm. is cool. It puts them at three attacks a piece, but yeah, I just, it's too bad because Storm Vermin are really cool looking. Yeah. I think they just lose out to other things in this book. They get lost in the mix of this okay. other stuff is really good. So the next thing is pack masters then. Who are not heroes. Who are not heroes. <laughs> okay. Six inch move, two wounds, uh, six up, save, five bravery. They have three thingies on their profile. First one is a herding whip with three inches, one attack, four by fours, no rend, one damage. Rusty blade, as you would imagine, is no rend, one inch, two attacks, four by fours, one damage. And then the things catcher. We got another person with a things catcher. Two inch range, one attack, four by fours, minus one and two damage. So crack the whip is their special ability at the start of your movement phase. You can pick one friendly clan's molder pack. Okay, that's of interest. Mm -hmm. Units wholly within 13 of this unit until your next movement phase. You can add three to run rolls and charge rolls. In addition, until your next movement phase, add one to wound rolls. Sweet. Mm -hmm. All right, for attacks made with melee weapons by that unit. The same unit cannot benefit from this ability more than once per turn. Very thankfully, they can't benefit from more than one per turn. <laughs> yeah, how much do these little buddies? How They're three for 65 points. Oh, well worth it if you're taking Clan Molder, mm -hmm. I think. Well worth yeah, it. Yeah, they're just not heroes. When you talk about like your unit allocation right, you get your Master Molder, who's 90 points. Sure. Who is a leader who helps contribute to getting to mm. more hell pits? I feel okay. like you'd have to be in some like a really weird tight point situation because okay. you get one fewer wound, but at a five up save and higher bravery, you just mm. do more with mm. a master molder. Maybe you're low on hero slots, which is maybe why you've made that decision, but. Mm. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Why don't you talk about this next bad boy? Man, I love the model. It's just so gross, but oh my gosh, this is yeah. just nuts. The Hell Pit, 2D6 inch move, 5 up save, bravery 6, 14 wounds. The uh, the top tier brings you up to 16 wounds and a 4 up save, so that's definitely of interest. Oh yeah, if you take one of the special mm-hmm. yep. mount traits as it were, yep. Yeah. Okay. He has the Avalanche of Flesh, doesn't use the attack sequence, but instead you roll a number of dice equal to the number of models in the target unit that are within range. It's a 3 inch range weapon, so mm-hmm. you can get a lot of models in. You can re-roll the dice if this unit made a charge move in the same turn. For each roll that is equal to or greater than the avalanche of flesh value shown on the unit table, it suffers one mortal wound. It goes from two to a five up. Yeah. You can do a, a lot of damage to a horde unit with a hell pit just showing up. Mm-hmm. It's got the gnashing teeth, one inch range, six attacks, threes by threes, ren three down to ren one, damage mm-hmm. two. Flailing fists, six attacks, down to three attacks, threes by threes, ren one, damage three. <laughs> nice. Regenerating monstrosity. In your hero phase, you can heal up to D3 wounds allocated to the unit. Mm. One of the mount traits lets you do that in the enemy hero phase as well. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Warpstone spikes. Each time this unit is affected by a spell or the abilities of an endless spell, you can roll a dice on a four up. You ignore the effects. One of the mount traits is an upgrade to this ability. I don't know that you're going to take that one because when you look at something like too horrible to die, sign uh, me up. Yeah, the first time this unit is destroyed before removing it from the battlefield, roll a dice and look at the roll on the table below. One of the things you can do is re-roll this with the mount trait on a one it's just dead on a two through four the rats emerge all units within three inches suffer d3 mortal wounds then remove this unit on a five through six it's not destroyed instead heal d6 wounds allocated to it and any wounds or mortal wounds that remain to be allocated are negated and have no effect I mean, you're going to work hard to get rid of this thing mm-hmm. in a lot of cases that would just be frustrating as heck i mean you only got a one of three chance bringing them back but man the fact that you even have that all right man Rat ogres. Yeah. Yes. Nice. So these guys are seven inch moves, six wounds apiece, four up save, five bravery. <clears throat> they have a warp fire gun. It has 16 inch range. D3 attacks, four by threes, minus one, two damage. And then they have claws and blades and stuffs. One inch range, four attacks, three by threes, minus one, two damage. So two damage across the board here for these guys. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with tearing blades, claws, and fangs, is a six, scores two hits instead of one. Make a wounded save roll. All right. Yep. You whip these guys. You get them to twos to wound. You give them all out attack. They're four attacks each. Twos by twos. Rend one, damage two. Sixes to hit explode. Really good. Six Sweet. wounds apiece. Difficult to move. When it dies, you can spend the command point. And on a three up, you can bring a whole unit of these back. Yes. Yep. Wow. Bring six of these back. That would just be... That would be very mean. That would be scary as heck, yeah, to see that happen right in front of your eyes. Yeah. Rat swarms. Yeah, we got to have swarms. Yeah, rat swarms. Six-inch move. No save. The rare no save. Bravery 10. Four wounds. They have gnawing teeth. One-inch range. Five attacks. Fives by fives. No rend. Damage one. And at the end of the battle shock phase, you can return one slain model to this unit. <laughs> it's interesting. You get two of them for 55 points. They can't be battle line, thankfully. It's a good screen. Yeah. It's a very frustrating screen. Sure. Take a bunch of those. Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot of wounds. Yeah, it's next up is... Up. Oh, yeah, giant, giant rats. rats. Sweet. So eight-inch move, one wound, three bravery, no save. They have vicious teeth, one-inch range, two attacks, four by fours, no rend, one damage. But improve the rend characteristic of this unit's vicious teeth by one if it has three to five models. Improve the rend characteristic by two instead of one if it has six or more models. Yeah, so it's six of them for 60 points, and they become battle line in a Molder Hero army. Wow. They would be annoying. 
Yes, they would be very annoying. <laughs> and you can't just ignore them, given what they could do. I mean, mm. it's still... I don't know that you're paying 120 points for 12 of them. Sure. It's an interesting screen. I that, think that's units. No, it's not units, Dan. Oh, come on. Stop it. We got gutter runners and night runners. Oh, God. Okay, fine. <laughs> Two iconic units for all the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, these are the famous monkey-fisted rat men. Gutter runners... <laughs> Yeah. Seven inch move, five up save, bravery five, one wound. Then you've got the Eshin throwing stars, their ranged weapon. 12 inch range, three attacks, fours by fours, no rend damage one. They've got a punch dagger and blade, one inch range, two attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage one. They're elite, so they can issue commands to themselves. <laughs> they have Eshin toxins, unmodified hit rolls of a six are one mortal wound. Huh? Sequence ends. They can run and still shoot later in the turn, and they are sneaky infiltrators. You can set them up off board, and they must be set up wholly within six inches of a terrain feature more than nine from all enemy units. Sure. And then lastly, the night. Wait a minute. There is not another unit, Brent. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Another one. One more unit. <laughs> okay. Then we can talk about spells. Night Runners, 7-inch move, 6-up save, bravery 4, 1-wound. They have the Eshin throwing weapons, which are the same but worse. 12-inch range, 1 attack, 4s by 5s, no rend damage, 1. And a Stabbing Blade, which is 1-inch range, 1 attack, 4s by 4s, no rend damage, 1. They can have a champion who had 1s to the Stabbing Blade attack. They have their Deadly Toxins. Same as before, sixes to hit or immortal wound. They can run and still shoot, but they have a slinking advance after deployment, but before the first battle round begins, this unit can make a normal move of up to 2d6 inches. Both of these units are roughly 100 points, plus or minus, mm. and you get five gutter runners or 10 night runners for that 100 points. Yeah, these are just, they're something. Yeah, they're in the book. They are in the book. That is something <laughs> that you can say about them. <laughs> All right, dude, now we're finished with units. Yeah, now we can talk about endless spells Thank in the Mahole. goodness. Why don't you talk about these, because I'm not as familiar with it. So Vermin's Hide, casting value of a 5, a range of 18 inches. You have to set it up more than 1 inches from basically everything else. It's predatory and can move 7 inches. After it's moved, the commanding player can pick 1 unit within 3 inches of it and roll 13 dice. For each 6, it suffers a mortal wound. In addition, roll 13 dice for each unit that finishes a normal move, run, retreat, or charge move within 3 inches of this endless spell and for each six that unit suffers one mortal wound you basically throw this out there you cause it you know to just play a little bit of chaos it does enough damage where most people are going to ignore it but in late game situations it's going to force your opponent into places where they don't want to be okay with a relatively low casting value of a five it's not hard to get rid of though okay warp lightning vortex has been the bane of many people's existence since oh, I, it came out yeah and a staple in all caradron overlord armies <laughs> up until purple sun the Warp Lightning Vortex, casting value of an 8. You set up the first one wholly within 13 inches, and then you set up the second and third parts exactly 7 inches from the first part and 7 inches from each other, forming a equilateral 7-inch triangle. An incredibly annoying triangle, yes. Yes. All the parts must be set up more than 1 inches from all models, other endless spells, and invocations. Units within 3 inches of this endless spell cannot run. But they have Warp Lightning Volts, so after it's set up and at the end of each movement phase, roll a dice for each unit within six inches of this endless spell. Add one to the roll if it's within six inches of two parts of the spell. Add two if it's within range of all three. 
which is kind of tough to do. It really has to kind of be like right in the middle. Mm-hmm. On a four up, the unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Unmodified roll of a six, the unit suffers D6 mortal wounds instead of D3. And it can be pretty annoying. It can be very annoying, very difficult to get off the board at a casting value of an eight. Yep. And it does a lot of damage. The last endless spell is the Bell of Doom. Mm-hmm. Uh, casting value of a five and a range of 13 inches. I know, shock horror. It has to be more than one inches from everything. It is predatory. It can move 2d6. After the spell is moved, roll 3d6. On a 13, each unit within 13 inches of this endless spell suffers d3 mortal wounds, and then the spell is removed from play. Mm. But you do not take battle shock tests for scaven units wholly within 13 inches of this endless spell, and you subtract one from the bravery characteristics of other units within 13 inches of this endless spell. Pretty nice. Yeah, it's okay. It's 60 points. To make a couple of units battle shock proof? Would you rather have that or another rattling gun? Another rattling gun. Okay, so there you go. No question. Because when you talk about that, it's that or a rattling gun. It's Vermintide. It's that or a rattling gun. Warp sure. Lightning Vortex is 80 points. Like, okay. It actually does damage and causes enough plan problems for your opponent to warrant going, no thanks, I'll have this rather than a rattling gun. Sure. And the last one, Stupid Holes. Okay. No holes. <laughs> Stop. No holes are the faction terrain. You get three of them. So you set them up after you pick sides, and you set them up more than three inches from objectives and all other terrain features, and more than 18 inches from all other gnaw holes in your army, fully within eight inches of the battlefield edge. Uh, obviously, if multiple people, you alternate. These pieces of terrain are impassable, which is kind of a big deal. They tunnel through reality. Once per turn, at the end of your movement phase, you can pick one friendly Skaven unit wholly within six inches of this terrain feature and remove it from the battlefield. Set up that unit wholly within six inches of a different gnaw hole, so it does not have any enemy units within three inches of it so you can turn gnaw holes off mm-hmm. and more than nine inches from all enemy units you can use this ability once per turn with each gnaw hole faction terrain feature in your army that is on the battlefield so you can move multiple units from multiple places to a single location sure which is kind of dumb you add one to chanting rolls for friendly skaven priests within three inches and add one to casting dispelling on binding rolls for friendly skaven wizards within three inches of this feature which is pretty stinking good so those are the war scrolls, and the last things we have to talk about here are strats. Are and... your strats, tactics, and the battalions? Yeah, yeah. So no battalions. Nope. Which is fine because they rarely seem to be any good. But we do have grand strategies and battle tactics. All of these grand strategies are effectively the same. You have five of them, but all of their conditions are identical. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if there are three or more friendly master clan or insert clan from your starting army on the battlefield. Molder right. is one, Eshin's one, Verminus is one, Scryer is the other one, Pestilence is the last. So when the battle ends, you complete this grand stat if there are three or more friendly units from yep. your starting army. Friendly heroes. Yep, friendly heroes. Mm-hmm. Okay, Gotta be heroes. Yeah, okay. You are incentivized to have a bunch of heroes. These are not bad. This can be tough to do depending on your opponent, but these are all right. But these would keep you essentially, based on points and other things, from doubling up on anything other than Master Clan and something else. In other words, you couldn't really do a Molder and a Scryer or an Eshin and a Verminous yeah, or something. This disincentivizes that path forward. Yes. But if you are taking Master Clan and something else, this is... This is no-brainer shipping. Yeah, yeah, these are interesting. It's almost the other choices that you'd make are quite a bit more difficult. Okay. There are four battle tactics, though. This is something that you and I were talking about a couple of weeks ago when this book came out. Yeah. And the debate around banning battle tactics had really started in earnest. Yes. And this was one of the first places I jumped to was not all books have a problem. Right. 
and we went through these four yeah. and the conditions in which you would take them, which is why I'm of the mind that we shouldn't be banning battle tactics outright. I think that we should be either limiting their value mm-hmm. in making battle tactics from the book you know, score fewer points, or you're limiting the number of battle tactics you take from the book. Sure. Because as we walk through these, Dan, you know, it becomes pretty clear that they can be kind of difficult to achieve all Skaven armies. Right. And the first one's Restore the Beast. Mm-hmm. Pick one friendly rat ogre unit. So you have to have a rat ogre unit on the board that has three or four more wounds allocated to it. You complete this attack if that rat ogre unit has zero wounds allocated to it at the end of this turn. Okay. Sure. That one's doable, though. Yeah. If you keep somebody out of the way. Yep. And you get your tactic. It's, it's what not you impossible. need to do. Yep. Death mark. Pick one enemy hero on the battlefield that has wounds characteristic of 10 or more and has zero wounds allocated to it. You complete this tactic if that hero is slain in this turn by attacks made by friendly clan Eshin units. Yeah, this is one where we can talk about battle tactic prevention. You mm-hmm. have to pick that target. Mm-hmm. I know that's the target that you're picking. I can do enough things to make your life miserable. Spend command points, do some other things that mm-hmm. I need to do, right? Yep. Finest hour, yep. toss in a redeploy, all out defense, whatever. Okay. And then you have to do it with Eshin units. Yeah, that's the kick for me on this one. That's the tough part. Even their vermin lord. That's a tall order. Yeah. All 10 wounds don't have to be done by the Clan Eshin units, but you complete it if the hero is slain by Clan Eshin units' attacks. So again, that's an issue of wound yeah, timing and yeah, things like that's, that. So again, it makes it even more difficult. Mm-hmm. The next one is Fire, Fire, More, More. You can imagine this is Clan Scryer. Yeah. Pick one enemy monster on the battlefield. You complete this tactic if that unit is destroyed this turn by attacks made with missile weapons by friendly Clan Scryer units. Hey, I don't think that's anything but doable, depending on what you pick. And then Crescendo of the Diseased... Hmm, I wonder which clan this is. <laughs> you complete this tactic if three or more prayers chanted by different friendly clans, pestilence priests, are answered in this turn. If you have the Great Plague where you're re-rolling, this is imminently achievable. Absolutely. So all four of these are individually, well, all three of these individually are very three achievable. Of them, yeah. Three of them together are not. You are very unlikely to have such a list where Crescendo of the Disease Choir, Fire, Fire, More, More, and Restore the Beast are all going to be eligible and no-brainers. Mm-hmm. The chances are there's probably one, any one of the three. Obviously, the Pestilence one is going to be very likely in Pestilence armies. But why would we ban the whole of this book from Battle Tactics and Grand Strategies perspective? Because this book has one Battle Tactic per player that is doable what we're saying there is you make it so that each player can take one from their own book that is my level of advocacy for this the grand strategies are not so offensive unlike the daughters of cain one right which is basically (laughs) as long as you play the game you get your three points yep yep Yep. which is ridiculous i think that these are quite reasonable and Mm. quite good just limit the number yeah yeah that's it you still use them just you have to pick which one you want correct closing thoughts on the book then dan they're shooty they're punchy they're magic-y i mean there's so many neat choices in this book and a combination of clans i think is a really unique feature a combination of sub factions as it were because you just can't do that in other books and it gives them a lot of flexibility i think they're big heroes all have that five up ward so they're very durable properly put together this book armies can just be close to unstoppable i mean you that combination of shooting and punchiness can really do people in and you don't have solutions to the the problems that present themselves on the board you might be able to solve one problem but then the Skaven army has something else that you don't have a solution for. Yeah, the tough bit is potentially getting all of it. 
right. into one army, you are going to be forced to make choices. You're not going to be able to just get everything and exactly what you want and field necessarily sure. a perfectly balanced list. Mm. You are going to have to make decisions on what you include. Makes sense. And I'm glad they built that in. There's that limiting factor. You're right. I agree. Yeah. I, as much as I hate to admit it, you know, this <laughs> it's a really interesting book and there's some fun things that would be worth trying to put together. And I'm just thinking of Molder and some of the things you could do with that and the units that are in Molder. Really fun stuff. Yeah. From a competitive standpoint, um, Stormfiends, you know, mm-hmm. Scryer list built around Stormfiends, still very competitive. Clan Pestilence units had a very competitive moment in the sun in 2.0. I think that they have potentially returned with that. Kind of a semi-mixed arms list is going to be relatively powerful, where you've leaned heaviest first most on Master Clan, and then you've taken the different bits and pieces you know, from the other ones. But the piece there that's problematic, as you talked about, is having the points to do that. Mm-hmm. You have to just be very, very careful and monitor your... Right, you're going to form your base of Master Clan, and then you're going to pick the couple of things that you want to do. Okay. And then those sure. couple of things, you use the three claw steps ahead to get units into combat and do those types of things. Okay. I think those are largely going to be the archetypes that are built around it. I struggle to see a lot of competitive value in Verminous. Mm-hmm. I struggle to see a lot of competitive value in Molder-specific armies. Okay. I think armies in which Molder is supporting is the best role for Molder. Where Scryer is excellent as a support piece, you can also build around Scryer. Okay. The only way that I see like big, big units of clan rats and things like that being competitive is hiding like weapons teams in all of them and then burning your opponent down with a bunch of like random 60 point units. Okay. Uh, all right. <laughs> rattling guns or warp fire throwers and, and letting your opponent just kind of have the business. Okay. Because the best part about them, Dan, is you can chuck them into combat, oh. pin a unit down, and they're stuck there. Mm. Obviously that, and you are absolutely going to see the nuclear warbringer from time to time. Based on what you talked about with combinations. it's And I've seen it in use. It is worth every single point and trait and artifact that you put into and it. And obviously he had that perfect combination of everything you were talking about. No. No? No. Oh my God. Yeah. Jeez, not even the combination. No. Oh, wow. That's crazed, man. Just like when the Skaven book came out last time, there are some definite clear competitive builds. The nice thing about this go around is that it feels like where it went in phases before Mm -hmm. of different things finding dominance. I think that most Skaven players are going to be quite happy with the level of choice that they're going to be able to make out of this book to field competitive armies. All right. Coolio, man. Mm-hmm. Then that's it for the Skaven book. We finally got there and we actually did it, man. Yeah. Awesomeness. So with that, let's move on to our normal sections. And we've got a couple of things we're going to talk about in uh, show close. So let's move on to Scriptorium. Etc. 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 So new releases, we've actually got quite a bit of stuff. The first thing we have is a Sisters of Battle anthology about a battle sister named Sister Santorus. Mm-hmm. I think it's about eight stories, it sounds like. So if you're into sisters, this sounds like a book that'd be very interesting for you. The next one is Vulture King, which is about an RCR Bone Reapers general and has something to do with his son being resurrected that creates all kinds of issues and politics. It sounds interesting if you're a Bone Reapers person. Sounds mm-hmm. like it might be a good read. The next one is The Dark City. And this is the third book of the Vaults of Terra series. And I just, last episode, I think I talked 
talked about Watchers of the Throne. I talked about a book that had a Sister of Silence and a Custodian kind of main characters. So I just wanted to differentiate. So the Vaults of Terra series is about Inquisitors as central characters. You have a main Inquisitor, you have his kind of apprentice. And then Watchers of the Throne is the one where you have the Talents of the Emperor who are the main two main characters. So just to differentiate. So Dark City is a Vaults of Terra Inquisitor's book. We have Lupercal's War that is 21 short stories that are from heresy books that exist. So if you are new to the heresy, I might recommend this book. Sure. If you are not new to the heresy and you've read a lot of them already, you're going to look at this list and you're going to recognize half of these stories already. So I don't know that it would be worth it to get this particular one. The other one that looks of interest to me is it's called Thunderstrike and other stories. So there's 19 new Mortal Realms short stories. This sounds like it might be interesting when I read a, you know, read the synopsis and stuff. So that might be something I'll listen to eventually. But those are all the new listens or new releases. So most of them have come out in audio. Yeah, a bunch of good stuff. Uh, how about you, Brendan? Reads and stuff. Not really listen to anything new. I did find one podcast I'm very excited about. I have been trying desperately to find something technical-oriented for my newfound passion of Formula One. Mm -hmm. And there is a podcast called The F1 Tech Show. Mm. And it is a earnest, honest-to-God technical conversation about Formula One where one of the guys on the show is actually a former car designer for multiple teams. He was on... You know, they weren't quite winning teams because they were competing against very good Ferrari teams, but they were extremely competitive. And so there have been times where, like, I've had to stop the podcast, go, like, like Google search image of what he's talking about, come back and go, okay, I get it. Because, like, you can tell that the way he's talking about it, he is a picture of what this looks like in his head, high level of fluency in the regulations. And it's one of those things where I'm like, this is really cool, where... Sometimes they take a subject matter and they're talking about, you know, like the evolution of that kind of like piece of equipment on a car. And what is the podcast called? It's called the F1 Tech Show. F1 Tech Show. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Very excited about that. Well, as excited as someone can reasonably be (laughs) about, you know, a very robust and thorough technical discussion. Which is what, I mean, that's your vocation. That's what you mm. got your degree in. You know, this, that's something you have an interest and a passion for. So that's great. And I'm glad you finally found that because you were really struggling to find something. Yeah, and it's absolutely the right kind of people. Like they're on there. I respect the credentials of, of what's being discussed. You know, these aren't like enthusiasts about it. This is a guy who this was his profession. Okay. Easy. Sure. That's great. Good stuff, man. I'm glad mm. for you. Happy. You still haven't seen Ford versus Ferrari, though. No, I haven't. Okay. Okay. We'll have to work on that one. I finished reading Scars and my Slammers number two book. Reading Scars again was such a joy. You know, I'm going to do White Scars for my Heresy Army, but it's just so many things come back when you read these books from the Horus Heresy you haven't read in a long time. You realize how much is packed into one of them in terms of telling you what's going on everywhere. The other thing, though, I finished those two books, and I'm kind of, I like having a Dead Tree book kind of in reserve to read. So one of the things that I've recently kind of rediscovered an interest in is the Peninsula War and the war in Spain uh, when Napoleon invaded Spain back in, you know, the Napoleonic Wars. And there's a book about Wellington's Light Division, which a lot of people don't know about. But after the Battle of Talavera, where he was his first victory really against the French, uh, he developed this unit called the Light Division and it became really prominent in his strategy. He kind of used it as a screen and some other things. 
I really wanted to find out more about it. Mm-hmm. And so that book should arrive today. I should be able to start reading it. Oh, cool. I finished A Sabbat War for a listen. It is not for everybody. I'm not saying it wasn't a great listen. It was excellent. But if you don't have some background in terms of Gaunt's Ghosts, like you haven't read the last book, The Anarch, if you haven't listened to um, either one of those books, The the uh, Serpent and the Saint or the you know Martyr and the Magister, if you haven't listened to those, these books refer a lot to that stuff. If you are a fan of those things, this book, again, will be excellent for you, this listen. But if you're not, you'll have a hard time kind of having a frame of reference and context for a lot of things that are being said. I finished Soul Slayer. It was the next Gotrek book, right? In the Mortal Realms. Oh, Brendan, it was by far the best Gotrek book. I don't know how to describe Gotrek by the end of the book, but he's just become a different person in a good way. And he's literally discovered his purpose in the Mortal Realms now, I think. By the end of the book, he actually made a difference a really big difference uh, with this group of fire slayers that he encountered. And it was just so cool to see his personality develop. He's still an insane, you know, slayer. It was just really cool. And the way Darius Hinks handled him. The other thing that was so cool was if I didn't despise the Ideneth before I read this book or listened to this book, I despise them now. I know their order, but they are the most hideous, arrogant, uncaring, unfeeling group of... Well, they have no souls. Elves. This is the point. You know, mm-hmm. when you t- talk about what they do, I mean, they literally, they don't, they're not, they're worse than than freaking vampires. You know, uh, soul bite. They literally suck the souls out of people and just leave a husk. And you're thinking their order. Well, and then you start listening to like how their characters think about other creatures and other beings and how they have this super caste system, you know, in their society. And the nobles just don't care about anybody or anything. They're so arrogant. Very elfy. It's more like over the top. I mean, they're just evil. They really are evil when you start, you know, going through that. So it was just order, really great. Order doesn't mean the good guys. Right. One thing real quick, listeners, I want to talk about is there's this one battle scene where the Fire Slayers and Gotrek are having this big feast after having a couple of victories. And they're just drunk as heck, man. They're just staggering around, you know, food in their beards. And it just was hilarious. Well, the Ideneth attack while they're having this feast. And so, like, hundreds of Fire Slayers and Gotrek who are just drunk off their butts just storm into the Ideneth. And the sea is just hilarious like you're listening to Gotrek try to talk and he's just like you know he can barely even speak and the Ideneth are trying to swing at these guys but they're staggering so much like they can't hit them like it's but just the the words and the way it was read this Cindy and I were both laughing our butts off as we're listening to this I would definitely strongly recommend Soul Slayer for Gotrek and again I'm considering either Dark City or Thunderstrike for my next listen I don't know which one Dark Neck Diaries as always and then two things on Prime and Netflix. So Terminal List is almost done. We've gotten through the sixth episode. Every one of these things gets more intense. And we were going to do two, but we finished with this one and we're just exhausted watching this. Like we're done. We have to wait to watch seven and eight now. But very, very good and very well done. And then there was something Cindy found that she had us watch. It was called The Gray Man. It's really interesting too. It's of course, there's CIA involvement. So scum. You know, that's my personal experience with CIA. But the guy who played the main character was Ryan Gosling, who was the main character in the new Blade Runner movie. He was Kay the Replicant in Blade Runner 2049. He's done other things too. Really, really a good movie. And this is a popcorn sit there and just go with it. Because there were some fight scenes and battle scenes that just were 
way over the top. Just constant movement and shooting and bodies falling and you're going, God, is this ever going to end? So Gray Man is another one I recommend. I thought it was really good. That's it. Okay. So we're moving on to 5 by 5 man. We're mm-hmm. back to this or that. Here we are. It's 5 by 5 and as always, your choice, my friend. Of you go first, Dan. Okay. I have two questions related to the book we just reviewed. Okay. You're going to have a Skaven army. You're going to take Master Clan and you're going to take either Scryer or Molder are your two choices to go with Master Clan. What do you think? I think the more competitive choice right now is Molder. I would take Scryer just because I think it's more fun. Okay. I do have a certain level of appreciation for the nonsense machine that is the <laughs> Scryer. You're taking one of two armies to defeat the Skaven on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Are you taking Sylvaneth or are you taking Soul Blight? That's a good question. It really depends on what all the different kinds of Skaven lists end up showing up. Okay. In a vacuum, I'm going to say Soul Blight. Okay. I think it presents a difficult problem in the number of models that you have to get through, and then also the recursion of units coming back from the grave and, and stuff like that. There are enough ways to try and hide heroes in units like that. Not actually in units, but like with bodyguards and stuff like that. So okay. To prevent that damage, you don't want to see warp fire projector lists in those, like, really at all. Okay. With Soul Blight. Okay. You want to see the other stuff, the rattling guns, things that you're bumping up to damage to. You really don't want to see that with the Sylvaneth list. Okay. There are many types of special forces in the United States military, mm-hmm. but if you were to choose a unit, a mercenary unit, that were going to do something that you were going to hire... Mm-hmm. All right. Would you choose Army Rangers or Army Green Berets? So I actually had a guy, he didn't quite work for me. He was dotted line to me back in a previous spot. And he was a former Ranger. And I have a lot of love for the kind of person he was. Okay. And he understood our situation, which was like we were, our team was largely not getting the budget we needed to do the things we needed to do. Okay. And he would consistently find the things that we needed to accomplish uh, whatever our task was it didn't help that sometimes people would find some of their equipment was missing a couple of parts oh yeah sure you know i don't work with him anymore i haven't seen or worked with him in a number of years but he was excellent so i'll take the rangers okay cool there's all kinds of realignment potentially going on in college football right now. Yes, there is. I'm major, very excited about major it. Major realignment. So I'm a big fan of chaos. So which conference do you think is going to benefit more? Do you think the SEC or the Big Ten will benefit more from the chaos? I mean, those are the two conferences that are going to win. Everybody yeah. else besides those two are just going to be losers. And so who do you think is going to benefit more, though, between those two? Well, the SEC's contract isn't going to be up for a while. So the conference that's going to have it most immediately impact them in terms of the bottom line is the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Theirs is the next contract that's coming up. They've got the Los Angeles area. They are going to yeah. command a TV dollar revenue figure that is going to be astronomical. Mm-hmm. It seems ridiculous to think about what this is going to be, even looking back 10, 15 years, mm-hmm. where college football was almost exclusively a regionalized yeah. um, you know, activity, and then ESPN went all in on making it a, a national prospect. Yes. The Big Ten is going to command a TV dollar value that is just insane. stupid. Yeah, yeah. It, it's insane. In the long term, the SEC is probably the bigger winner. Theirs is likely to be the more competitive of the two conferences. You know, They likely 
you know, when you see this all the way through, you know, the next contract up for the ACC in 2036, you know, they are very likely to pick up Clemson. They are very likely to pick up Miami. Those are the next kind of big dollar value teams that, okay. that, you're, that you'd be talking about. So Big Ten in the... In the short term, short term. SEC in the long term. Okay. Quick food question. Mm-hmm. So I've asked you about brats, or I've asked you about hot dogs or burgers. Sure. And you give me an answer. But what if I change it to brats or burgers? There's a little bit different story there. It's a little bit different. I find I have to be in the right mood. The right food mood. Mood, food. Yeah, for brats. <laughs> so like in a generic sense, I'm almost always going to pick hamburgers. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. That's my five. Okay. I have three from the book, Dan. Okay. And then two from other stuff. Okay. So... What would be the sub-faction that you would build around? I think the answer is Mulder. But yes. But, uh... So that would be my first choice, and then Scryer would be my second choice. And again, I'm not the kind of person, I don't build focused on going to my next, you know, looking at my next tournament, looking at my, you know, competitive. You like to take the things you like, and then your next question is, how do I get the most out of it? Right. I, I want it to still be competitive in terms of winning games. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go 0-5 or 1-4. So I would try to do what I could, and I think there's potential with Mulder to handle a lot of other armies. Yeah, giving up three claw steps ahead if you went a Mulder-Scryer split is a pretty big thing to end mm-hmm. up giving up. Yes. but. You do have a lot of tools between the two that are pretty capable. Yeah, that would in some way make up for some of the things you've lost, I mm-hmm. think. Okay, so yeah, so that would be my choice. Okay, rattling guns or warp fire throwers? I still like the guns because of the potential to just explode. I mean, literally, yes. But the number of shots those things can put out. And we know in this game, a lot of times it's volume of dice. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I look at your 60 zombies and I'm like, yeah, okay. The potential there is so much fun. Right. To me, that's the best part about Scryer is you talk about the ceiling, you talk about the ceiling, you talk about the ceiling, like, yeah, there's a floor, but like, what about the ceiling? <laughs> it's so much different. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, if you're in a room that has eight foot ceilings and you're seven foot five, you don't even know the floor is there. You're always looking at the ceiling, right? Okay, sure. Because it's, it's only six inches away from your face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. That's cool. Okay. What vermin lord would you potentially build a list around? <sighs> I'd have to go with... So Screech Vermin King has one turn in which he's Molder-oriented, quote-unquote. Yeah, unquote. but I think if I was going to do Molder, I'd probably do the, the War... The Warbringer? Warbringer The guy. nuclear Warbringer. Because I'm thinking of the units in Molder, and they're very melee-oriented. Um, that's, a uni- that's an army that you want to get in, stuck in with the other army. Hmm. So I would think that that Warbringer would be the guy to match up All right, next up are travel-related. Dan, what's the best way to spend a day in a random city? I asked this question because after ATC, I took an extra day where I just kind of tooled around Atlanta and and did stuff. I think I would like to look for some part of the city that had a walk of some kind. Like I think about San Antonio has their walk, Milwaukee has a river walk. walk, And I think a lot of cities have that kind of a thing. That would be fun because I think if you would spend half a day, for example, on a walk like that, you would see a lot of the city, a lot of different parts because things like that go through neighborhoods. And I think that would be really cool. Okay. So that would be what I would probably look for. And here, Dan, you and I recently have spent a fair chunk of time in airports What's the best airport food? Mm-hmm. And when I say food. best airport food, I mean food that like you personally maybe really wouldn't consider getting at a not airport. 
Like if there was a Sabaros in town, I don't think you'd go to Sabaros. No, probably not. But if there's a Sabaros in the airport, you're probably going to go to the Sabaros, right? Like that kind oh, of thing. Yeah, I'm thinking of. Is it Dulles, Cindy? That we go to has uh, Five Guys. Mm-hmm. So Five Guys is a place that I would. So you wouldn't you wouldn't go to Five Guys in not an airport. I mean, I would, but I think that. If I knew there was one in the airport, that's where I would go. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. There are a lot of like bar-like places you can sit. You sure, know, sure, sure. Things. Those are bars, right? Yeah, like that's... that doesn't count. Yeah, that would probably be my choice. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. What would yours be? I'm just going to throw it back real quick. Big fan of like regional chains at mm. airports. Oh, sure. Big fan of regional chains at airports. Like there's not a Bojangles around us. I was just in Atlanta. Going to... Now, when you say that, I used to fly through when I was, you know, a, a, an executive years ago. I used mm-hmm. to fly through Memphis a lot with what was then Northwest Airlines. And, man, they had some of the best barbecue and stuff at that airport. And I would look forward to going through Memphis because it was a hub and make sure I had a long enough layover so I could stop at one of the barbecue places. There you Did go. You say yeah. That? Yeah, that's... If there is something ridiculous and regional at your airport, yeah. that's where I'm getting. That's a good pick. Yeah, I like that. Like, it doesn't have to be a nice restaurant. It just has to be a regional fast food yes. place that I can't get to under normal circumstances. That's a great choice, yeah. All right, man. Is that it? Yeah. Let's All right. do show clothes. Okay, let's do show clothes. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. Sunday announcements at all? Yes. Warcry, the new season of Warcry and the new box up for pre-order next week. Okay. So that's what we got next week. And then we were going to each do a Q&A that we've received from mm-hmm. listeners. So why don't you go ahead with your first question? Yeah. So listener Justin asks, asking for a friend, is there a situation in which you can have too many Warhammer models? <laughs> And in your house, Dan, the answer is yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And in my house, Dan, the answer is no. The answer is, in your house, how much shelf space do I need to add? Yeah. <laughs> that's... <laughs> yeah, that's the only question. That's great. It's just, where is it going? <laughs> that's a good question. So mine was from a guy named James, and he asked me, he said, Dan, I know you have a two army limit. What would your next army be? Well, and I think the other half of this is what army goes away. Yeah, and right, because most listeners know I have the two army limit, and right now I have two armies. I got a Night Haunt and I got a Soul Blight army. Mm-hmm. I don't talk about or use my Soul Blight, but I got enough. I got, it's very certainly very oriented. This heresy army that when it's done is going to be army number three. Yeah, and. And something's got to go. Yeah. If I was going to build a new army in Sigmar, I have to say that I'm going to wait because we haven't talked about Sylvaneth yet. Nope. We've got Lumineth, Lumineth I don't care about. And, <laughs> but we also have Zinch, and I have always had interest in Zinch. So I would have to wait and see until we get through this kind of cycle of books, which army I would do another one of. The problem with me, Brendan, is whenever we do a battle tome, I always find something in every one of them that's like, I could build an army around that. And I think I'd that's have fun. cool. I think that's interesting. Yeah. And so that's like with Skaven. Yeah. I would love to build a molder list with a bunch of rat ogres and like four. Four helpers. Yeah. Oh, they'd just be great. Yeah, but am I really going to do that? No. <laughs> so anyway, my answer is can't answer the question. Okay. I just can't at so, this point. So what about the other half of the question yes. that I added? Which of the armies goes? Soul Blight. Okay. Because no I was going to say, it's, at this point, it's going to be very tough to part with that Night Haunt army. Oh, there's no way. 
I'd never get rid of that army. Never's a long time. Dave. It is, and it always comes before we expect it to. I'm never going to get rid of that Nighthawk army. Okay. I've spent too much time. I enjoy it too much. So that's it for that one. Next episode, 103. Sylvaneth. Tree people. Yes. Yeah, awesomeness. That is really, really cool. And I'm looking forward to talking about that book. That is a book I'm very excited to talk about. Yeah. Oh. It is my favorite kind of army where it requires a very high level of skill expression to get the most out of it. Mm -hmm. When we go to talk about it, it is very complicated. Mm -hmm. It is likely to be very difficult to play, but when you get your arms around it, it's very rewarding. You love that kind of challenge anyway. I do. You love that kind of army. And then that's it. I think we're all set. Yeah. Again, congratulations to you and your teammates at uh, ATC. That was great. Thank you. Glad you had a wonderful time. And with that, thank you as always, my friend, for hanging out today. Thank you all very much, as always, for joining us and spending time with us. You all take care, stay safe, and remember shenanigans because life is better when you're up to something. Bye! This is the